Hey there, James the Caster. This is Eniash. Hey, Eniash, this is Steven. Steven, who's James the Caster? You, you have me uh, at a loss on this one. He's, uh, this is a pretty deep reference um, that no one but me should understand. Uh, he's a stand-up comic. He's really funny. I linked the bit that made me think of putting him for this episode in the show notes. So it'll be in the uh, show notes for the audience. Uh, okay. So the bit where they're talking about like which exclusions can we go get money out of and Pie Shep is the farmer from heaven right so mm-hmm. uh or hell yeah he's the he's the super the uber farmer uh mm-hmm. says pie shep is straight out nobody really wants him gone plus he sends out produce and uh june's like shit people actually eat that stuff people don't actually eat that stuff do they and she says of course they do they're people it's free food at festival time and i'm just like this guy thinks he's too good for a free snack <laughs> and based on june's reaction maybe it's like grown in terrible things oh i'm sure it's grown from humans or whatever i'm sure it's something terrible right <laughs> okay. but uh, yeah i just so the the bit is um james the casters that got uh this this uh revenge plot that he had like there's a gas station attendant and they're selling bananas or something and they're free and he's like no i'm good because they look they look terrible and as mm-hmm. he's leaving she's like someone thinks he's too good for a free banana and he's like <laughs> you know what you're right i am and uh, it's he turns into a seven-minute hilarious fest. So have a great time. Huh. All right. I will watch this. Sounds sounds really cool. He's really funny. Yeah. Well, what is it that we do here when we do not talk about stand-up shows? Oh, yeah. This is our podcast, Not Everything is a Clue, where you and I sit down to talk about Alexander Wales' web serial, Worth the Candle, available on an audiobook and ebook near you through Chapter 42. As long as near you is on Amazon. But Amazon is near everybody, really. Exactly. Yes, uh, you can buy those, which you should. You can support Alexander Wales at his Patreon, which is linked in our show notes. Oh, and the purchasing of uh, his stuff at Amazon is also linked in our show notes. You can also support us at our Patreon, which we think is great. Uh, and we kick back 15% of that to Alexander Wales as well. So uh, do any or all of those things if you so wish. And we will get into your feedback. My feedback. Um, no, the feedback from the listeners. I was talking to the listeners at this moment. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. I don't have a feedback. Uh, Things are going great, man. I'm having fun doing the show. Thanks for asking. That's my feedback. <laughs> Heck yeah. We're getting we're getting close to the end, man. I'm starting to get nervous. The uh the audio or the ebook that I have on my phone uh that I downloaded when we started the show, mm-hmm. I think has like one, maybe two chapters left in it. Oh, you know, I was going to say um, in our last episode, but I forgot uh, when we recorded our last episode, I believe that was about the point where I caught up to where the book was at the time. And uh, I had to start waiting for new chapters, which was a bummer. poor you. (laughs) I I forgot to ask. I assumed it was like three, four months ago in in chapter time, not in uh, real, you know, that's a, well, um, you know, I'm glad you got to enjoy the, the the delicious agony of having to wait for more content. You know, it's weird. One of the best things about web fiction is that you get to read along in real time with like thousands of other people and have a community. And that's awesome and all. But on the other hand, the, one of the worst things about web fiction is that 90% of the time it isn't completed. So I I was holding off because like, I mean, I know Alexander Wales writes amazing, awesome shit, but everything that he's ever written, I, I've uh, I've read after it was completed because, you know, they were smaller one shot kind of things. And uh, I just I, I was like, no, it's it's a web fiction. I, I'm going to wait until it's actually completed because I don't want my heart broken. And eventually I went back on that. But he, you know, 
he stuck it out and he wrote the whole damn thing. So I was very happy. Given how close we are that we must be at the end, it would have been kind of really funny if he's just like, you know what? I don't really know how to end this. And that was the last chapter. Um, <laughs> Jesus. And I would have been like, fuck you. No, I should have waited. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, honestly, if it stopped now, this w- wouldn't, I wouldn't regret the time that we put into it. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Berserk was, uh, the, the manga was ended unexpectedly. And oh, because the guy died, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they released like the final chapter that he put out that he finished after he died. And mm-hmm. it, you know, it was hardly closure, but it, you know, if it had to end abruptly, that was not the worst spot to end it. Um, yeah. It was rather poetic and uh, heavy. So it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's worth the worth the, the trip, even if you don't get all the way there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The real friends are the the many, many hours he spent reading it along the way. <laughs> right. I did kind of, you know, afterwards I was like, oh, I missed out on all the like community and stuff because I was one of the great parts of reading Methods of Nationality, you know? Oh, man. The final exam. But I have created my own community of you plus the people on the Discord. So that's pretty cool. That's the that's the way to do it, man. Hell yeah. And if we're, if we're going to do that, we can also do the math. Uh, who wrote in <laughs> saying that the meaning of Captain Blue in the bottle might have been that the DM wrote the wrote the story to rest on the humans can't consent to labor view, but found that June then didn't have motivation to actually wreck blue in the bottles operation. So slowly increased how terrible he was until he made June actually care. And <laughs> I love that theory. I, I love it. I think that's exactly the kind of stuff the DM is doing behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. He's like, really June, you're, you're okay with this. Ah, oh, damn it. I thought you were communist like me. Okay. Uh, human slaves. Okay, fine. You're, you, you're not super put off by the fact that they can consent. Oh, okay. I got it. Fucking zombie, uh, you know, zombie mothers getting pregnant to human babies. Now, now you care, right? He's like, oh shit. Now I care. So yeah, yeah got him with that one. It's right. Thank goodness that the DM could modify things on the fly like that. I mean, I think uh, that's d- how this works. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I mean, that's how you would do it if you were an actual DM playing a tabletop game. Exactly. And that's one of the things that makes, makes it a unique art form. That's really fun. The, it's like, I guess June already says that all the improv and all the interaction and stuff. It's uh, it can be really cool if you got a skilled DM. Anyways, next user comment we got was from Divinity. This comment is about when you and me were talking about how, um, well, me specifically, I was saying to you that uh, I thought it was really weird that Val put at the end of her sentence uh, that Blue's idea that everybody would murder millions of babies. Uh, to extend their life a little bit was obvious nonsense. And I was like, who is she telling that it's not obvious nonsense to like who here thinks that she wouldn't know that. So she's covering her own butt, but uh, divinity has a different reading. Divinity says Val was pointing out that if blue was actually rationally examining the world around him, he would not have come to that conclusion. It's obvious nonsense. So he should know better just by looking at the world on this reading. It was a commentary on blue's lack of rationality rather than a disclaimer or a persuasive argument which I find to be a really good point. And that is an alternate reading that uh, is very good and um, is less sus of Val. So I think maybe you have been making me suspect her more than I should have because she's an awesome person and you just hate the uninsold. When it turns out that I'm right, I'll accept your apology graciously. (laughs) Um, Awesome. I mean, Blue in the Bottle couldn't hear them talking about him, right? No, he could not. So this, this disclaimer serves the same purpose or like this commentary serves the same purpose as the disclaimer, right? Or rather is just as futile. Uh, maybe like divinity also went on to say that it's kind of like when, uh, Harry was talking to Hermione about how Quirrell questioned 
uh, whether Lucius actually loves his son because Coral doesn't understand that humans actually love their offspring. And here he was just like, yeah, this guy is just like, he's too cynical. He's cynical about absolutely everything. And like maybe Hermione already knew that, but sometimes you just kind of say, you know, like, Jesus, look at this guy and is being a dumbass on this thing. Yeah, no, I I think that that actually makes perfect sense. I was just thinking of running with the concern that you had. I don't know if we had uh, solved it yet, but yeah, I mean, it, that that's also viable what you just said. Well, I mean, I think sometimes people just like finish their thoughts. You know, the, the thing is with Val is that I mean, I guess Val and Amaryllis primarily really everybody but June, because um, <laughs> June's the most human. Uh you know, they, they start a sentence, they get half their thought formed, they, then they start talking, and then they finish it somehow with whatever they, you know, find to end their thought with. All of that was impromptu and was jargony, or not jargony, was uh, disjointed on, you know, on purpose. Uh, and you're saying that's what, what most humans do. Right, because those those were just some raw-ass thoughts. But the thing is, Val doesn't have those, right? Yeah. So when she finishes up like a, well, and don't you agree? Or, you know, and isn't, I don't know, whatever, like some random end of sentence thing. It's like, it's never an accident with her, like the way it is with us. Right. Yeah. yeah cause she's got all the devils. All the devils. The girl with all the devils. All right. Well, um, that is our user feedback. So let's jump into the dragon's roost. Works for me. Cool. That is the name of chapter 217, uh, where they are going to the dragon's roost to look at uh, all the stuff that they have got from murdering a dragon. Yeah, the the call was like, you know, go there and check out the books, basically. Yeah, yeah, see what you can get for them. Although it doesn't say that yet, but that that's why it does it. We later find out. Well, I mean, um, it's gonna. But it, yeah, June's, we, we, we know it's aimed towards gold all the time. That's you know? true. Yeah. When I I only hit that, I wanted to kind of just force that beat, just because uh, it's interesting that this is like every time it it says to do something. Again, it's it's June leaning across the table telling Raymer, okay, now you got to go do this or you're not a gold mage anymore. And mm-hmm. every time that it it tells him to do stuff, I'm wondering why is it that the DM is like this, you know, uh, if we have the best candidate so far, this is not even a candidate. This is DM, DMPC, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Except, you know, the, the call isn't a player character, but like this is the DM just straight up telling him what to do. Yeah. And so Although every time he does it, I'm very mindful of like, okay, why did he wait until just then? Right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to have a purpose for why he did it right then. Like the DM's job, if someone is a gold mage, is continually fuck with them with the call of gold. And so probably like every 20 to 30 minutes, the DM is like, oh shit, I haven't fucked with him for a while. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> well, what can I tell him to do now? Okay. Uh, sell your left hand. Oh, right. Actually, okay. from someone like June, you might be able to get something. But now they've got to be like June stands out there. They're collecting June memorabilia, you know? Well, and I'm sure he's chock full of magic for bone mages. Oh, yeah, that too. Plus, he can ring grow hands. Yeah. So, I mean, if he knows he's close to a level up and he's about to go kill some people, might as well cut off a hand, right? I feel like he's close to a level up. Did, oh, did he get one? He did get one when he killed the dragons. Okay. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So he's very far from a level up right now. Well, maybe killing... One or two dragons pushes you close to a level up. I don't know. It was when he killed the second one that he got the level up. Although, you know, I guess it's possible that he was right on the edge of level up and got one. So he's already halfway through the next one now. Yeah. But let's be real. DM's going to make him work for it. (laughs) Yes, he is. All right. Sorry to derail us. Not a problem at all. Uh, June is derailing himself because he has a lot of time to fly through the air completely alone right now. And that leaves him alone with his thoughts and he's doing a lot of contemplating. And while one of the things that he is thinking about is uh, sometimes he just kind of 
fucks up and does things that he knows are bad, uh, that he knows are going to be bad, even as he is about to be doing them, but yet does them anyway. And uh, Juna saying, after I had a chance to think about it to cool down, I felt the blood drain from my face. Every time I fucked up, I felt like a weight was pressing down on me. And I just, I wanted to say, I really, um, I really feel him on this. It's, it's really awful. And like the really weird thing is like, even as you're doing something, you know, you're going to regret like, this is going to feel really awful afterwards. And then afterwards, when it does feel really awful, it feels a lot worse than what you were expecting beforehand, even though you knew it was going to feel a lot worse. I'm like, what the hell? Why can I not update on the fact that I know it's going to be a lot worse afterwards? And then it, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? I I know I'm going to feel bad later. Why can't I feel ish that now? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of the times that I do that. Fortunately, I think June's talking about like life fuck ups. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think I can't remember if he's talking about his fuck ups because what he's talking about here was like when he has a chance to think about it and cool down, he feels the blood drain from his face. Every time I fucked up, I felt like a weight was pressing down on me. Okay. Yeah. He is talking about him screwing up. I thought he was thinking more about the Bethel stuff. And he's like sort of blaming himself for it or something. I can't remember the specifics of this, but I mm. I did like how the emotion was described. I think Alexander hit it on the head. But like in my life, I don't, unfortunately, I don't think I fuck up that much. And like, usually it's minor, you know, like ordering another round at a, uh, you know, we get like all you can eat sushi once every month or two. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, definitely should have stopped. Um, okay. You know, like little things like that. I. I haven't had like a thing where it's like, oh, fuck, you know, this is dumb and I'm doing it anyway. And then I do it and then something bad happens in a long time, which is nice. Probably because I don't do anything. Um, <laughs> that makes it a little easier. Yeah. If you're never doing anything, you can't fuck up. Life pro tip. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, maybe it's yeah, like having another drink when you're almost, you know, when you know that you're at your limit and you're like, I'm having so so much fun. Let's keep drinking. And then like the next day you're like, I knew I should have stopped at four or something, right? I mean, every now and then, I'm just like, you know what? I'm really fucking depressed tonight. Fuck it. I'm just going to drink a bunch, even though I know I'm going to regret this later. And then later, I'm like, oh, fuck. Why did I drink a bunch? This was stupid. But it didn't stop me in the beforehand. Well, maybe it'll stop you next time. But maybe, yeah. yeah. I think it's okay to give yourself a pass once in a while. You know, you can't always, uh, I don't know. Sometimes you need to lean on stuff. I don't, you know, I hope you don't. That, That is what I've been told. Yeah. Once in a while is not too bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not like ruining my life or anything. That's that's the trick. Yes. I think that is literally the uh, the difference that the professionals, uh, where they draw the line. Yep. Alrighty. Anyways, going forward, the Call of Gold is really fucking up June's life. <laughs> it's, uh, it's basically like clippy, basically, because the Call of Gold is like, yes, first we will get all the gold we can get, and then we will do everything we can to get more gold, and then we will get all the gold on Erb by taking over Erb, and then we're going to make a portal to the elemental plane of gold to get all the gold i'm like holy shit this is like this is an ai optimized just to get maximum gold all the time and i i don't know i almost feel like we should drink here because it's sort of a rationalist thing but like not i mean not entirely it's not like something that is said a lot by rationalists it's just kind of originated there the best thing is is that you called it clippy in the notes and in your summary just now Hmm. Clippy is the little Microsoft helper from like the late nineties, early two thousands. <laughs> well, I mean, that was, that was the shorthand name adopted for the paperclip maximizer. Oh, was it? Yeah. Specifically because that was what the Microsoft helper was called and everybody hated oh, it. I thought, I thought you were just kind of transposing them in your brain. Uh, I feel like that's inviting confusion, but I suppose 
you're talking about Clippy taking over the universe, um, it's pretty clear which one you're talking about. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It doesn't seem to have the ability for long-term goals. Honestly, this is just like what I imagine June would say if, uh, whatever, someone at the table is arguing with him about like, what is this gold? What is the gold call even really want? Mm-hmm. Um, cause this is right after it's like, you know, you didn't, you didn't actually tell me to go to Paris. You just told me to ask about it. And then it's like, go to the dragon's lair. It's like, <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's, if, if all it wanted was maximum gold, it would let him, you know, keep doing his businesses and, uh, really just do what they're doing. You know, let me become God and I'll give you all the gold you can handle. And then some, yeah, but it's, uh, that's not its that's not its purpose, right? Its purpose is to keep testing him and pushing him until he finally breaks. Yeah. Well, breaks or, uh, pulls the plug on it, which I hope he does before he does something terrible. Yes. I'm kind of excited to see when, when he'll reach that point. I'm thinking in the next reading. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to what jump makes the gun. You think that? Uh, well, they it's like they're trying to figure out which exclusions to go after and it's like all right the gold the call tells him go do this one and he's like okay and emerald's like really you're gonna do it and he's like yeah i guess and it's gonna be some genocide mission and yeah. like it's it's gonna be bad yeah but also emerald said yeah these guys sound like they got it coming the the flesh somethings flesh crafters flesh mages they all have seemed like they've had it coming yeah oh you're right but some of them weren't as bad as yeah yeah i mean blue in the bottle he definitely had it coming but uh there was good reasons not to kill him right off the the doris is totally had it coming but they could be redeemed i just feel like you know here's what's going to happen this this is going to be like my ending note but it's it's fine here he's going to get there he's going to start killing people and then he's going to find kids hiding and it's like, mm. oh, I got to I got to kill all of them. And he's going to start smashing babies. And it's just like, OK, this is was this the line? Um, <laughs> I guess I already smashed a few babies. Might as well get the rest of them smashed. Yeah. So I'm hoping uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. Yeah. Just going to come back covered in blood. Um, right. Well, speaking about Superman covered <laughs> in blood, <laughs> he arrives at Dragon's Roost and there's a bunch of jerk ass thugs trying to intimidate Amaryllis and one of them is uh, gonna swing at her like his fist is an inch away when June like flies over in a split second and grabs his wrist and uh, stares him down which was just the most amazing badass thing and like he doesn't even really acknowledge him he just turns to Amaryllis as he's holding the dude's wrist and like I'll be nearby let me know when you got a moment yeah uh, classic Superman entrance yeah it was fantastic it was great and then as he floats away, he switches his armor to lava mode just to <laughs> really fuck with them. Just because it's the scariest. Yep. Uh, so Amrilis afterwards says, I saw the hit coming. It would probably have hurt, but it would have been good on balance. I'm a young woman and they would feel bad about hurting me, which would help bridge the gap. And I don't know how true that actually is. I have like some serious doubts about that. I think I think she may be wrong. I think, uh, I mean, you said angry thugs or whatever. These are theater nerds, you know? Uh, angry theater nerd thugs i'm just saying like these aren't like you know criminals so i i feel like the the image you know only one of them was bad enough to hit her it seems like and you know yeah. this this girl who's smaller than the guy that just punched her in the face you know staggers kind of stands up puts on a brave face i feel like everyone would be like oh we we went too far like i i i'm already feeling sympathetic for that hypothetical <laughs> okay I, I see what you're saying and based on the fact that they're theater nerds maybe you are correct but i just i have a very hard time imagining the kind of person who towers over a 
what appears to be teenage girl and hits her with a closed fist in the face, then like, if you've gone that far already, I think you're a very shitty person and I'm not sure you would feel bad for anything you've done because fuck you went that far already, you know? Oh, he might not, but the, the rest of the crowd. Oh. Yeah, I feel okay, like if they yeah, were alone, yeah. she there's no way she would have taken that unless, you know, there was a way for her to politically spin it publicly, right? Yeah. But no, this this is going to be in front of everybody and they're going to be like, why the fuck did you hit her? God, we look like pricks now. And then they'd feel yeah, like they have to capitulate to, to be nice, you know? That's a darned good point. I was just thinking of the one dude, but yeah, you're right. There is everyone else and good call. I, I have been corrected. Amaryllis is, uh, she's slippery. Um, yes. There's a cute little hand-holding moment and he tells her basically like, I don't know, you rock and I don't tell you that often enough. And mm. it's great. I'm sure she knows that, but it's always nice to hear it once in a while, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's even cooler if like you overhear someone else saying good things about you to other people. But it's it's also nice to hear it said directly to you as well, you know? Oh, just, yeah. Well, they uh, they basically cut straight to the library. They're interrogating the, I don't know if we get her name, the librarian. You know, tell me, tell me anything that you think I don't know about Uther. She's like, well, are you a scholar or like whatever, a casual? Hmm. Like, assume I'm somewhere in the middle. And so I, I just like how he goes straight for like, you know, the intense, interesting stuff. Cause he knows he's not here on a lark. Right. Yeah. Um, and then she's like, Oh, well, you know, we've got this book that Uther wrote, um, that he only wrote one copy of. And so it's not the infinite library. And, uh, it says he speaks of the titular stairs as descending down from earth and speaks only in speculative tones about how these metaphorical stairs might connect to air and provide a passage back. Yes. And June looks over at Amaryllis and says, Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> and then she's confused and he's like, oh, you're right. We haven't had that conversation or you haven't had that conversation. And it took me yeah. a second because I was like, wait, she didn't get to that part in the Bible yet. And I was like, oh, yeah, it was another Amaryllis. And she specifically mentioned how she didn't sync up with anybody for a while. Mm-hmm. And so she, she doesn't even know why she's being called out. <laughs> I, I, you know, I kind of love the fact that the DM made it a 10 minute process to sync with anybody. Because it's 300 minutes if she wants to sync with all of her clones, which is half the day gone. Like, I, I, um, it, it makes it so that they, she has to pick and choose and there's some discontinuity between what she knows and really a, a good anti-cheese move. And they can only sync with Prime, right? Yes, they can only sync with Prime. Uh, that- I mean, when they do, they know everything Prime knows and vice versa. But yeah, things start to veer apart after a while. And, and again, you can't spend six hours a day syncing. No, but you could divide with? the load amongst a handful if they could sync with each other and then she could sync with them. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What I love about it, I was thinking about this when I mentioned something about instances of her in my notes that I was like, you know, this, this is exactly how you scale like a, a, a web application. Um, oh. you, you, you make, uh, it, it's, it's running in some container loosely defined. And when you want to, when you want to use more of it, but there's only so much to go around, you just make more more copies, and then you make them all talk to each other, usually through some f- sort of shared memory or something, right? But if like yes. if memory is not uh, if if it, there's not an immediate need for it to be uh, like known across every instance of the platform of like the of the of the applications, then yeah, why not do it nightly? Um, I think that's how half my uh, um, my I was gonna say wife, but then spouse and whatever. Uh, my significant uh, other, yeah, my significant other, my hetero life partner. I think that's how her half of her like electronic medical record stuff works. 
they sink at oh. like 6.30 in the evening or something. What's funny is like, I think half of that will make me sound smart to people who don't know anything about computers and to the people who do, they're going to be like, God, this guy doesn't know anything that he's talking about. <laughs> it's delightful. This is a really fun phenomenon where like if somebody talks about stuff that you don't know about, you assume they're they're only giving you the ice, the tip of the iceberg and that they know a lot of this stuff. At least I do. I think this is there's a known name for this. So it's not just me. But when in fact, they could just be telling you everything they know and you're just assuming they know more than they do. So rest assured, I know very little whenever I talk about anything. Excellent. I will assume that that is a false cover. So people try to underestimate you. And in fact, you know everything about everything. Or at least a lot more than you're letting on. Unless I'm playing one level higher than you. So Oh, hmm. I'm trying to trick you into thinking that I'm smart because in that way you wouldn't be tempted to move against me. Yeah, perfect. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty smart. Right. So you may be tricking me into thinking the truth. But if I'm actually stupid, then who knows what I'm up to? <laughs> that makes me really the wild card, right? <laughs> Sounds pretty smart. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Yeah, so they're talking about narrative and what Uther thought about it and what Parasiv thought about it. And uh, the librarian says an essential component of ongoing narrative was a return to the status quo, uh, which I, I, there was a wonderful essay about this, which I can't find anymore, written by um, Brian Clevinger, I think, the guy who was behind 8-Bit Theater. But he had a very long, a relatively long essay about the comic book curse, which is exactly this, that you have these, these characters that, are published every month for 70 plus years. <laughs> and uh, there's, there isn't that many arcs in one person's life. So basically they, they have to return to the status quo every so often. Uh, the, the crazy stakes have to be reset and it all starts all over again. And uh, yeah, so she, she's pointing that out. And I've always, I've always felt like that was kind of a bummer about comics because they are, they're a great thing. And eventually they just come to an end. And I don't know if like, I should be happy or sad that, they continue existing anyway so that other people can have that experience. But then like some people get stuck in that and just keep reading the same stories over and over. I don't know. Anyways, but yeah, she's talking about the comic book curse and she says that the way that Nairb they got around this return to the status quo was the exclusions. And the first and most obvious element was that they uh, returned the world to normalcy, normalcy in ways that might be impossible or difficult otherwise. And the second thing they do is de-escalation because an infinite series of stories would require periodic downscaling of stakes in order to compensate for the inevitable rise in power, uh, what Uther called power creep. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, perfect. Exactly. And also, you know, see Marvel movies because they are starting to understand this very process of the comic book curse. And I'm really interested to see what's going to happen over time as uh, they keep trying to make these things. Me too. I, I haven't seen the new Doctor Strange. I suspect that. Well, I'm anticipating that they'll do this multiverse stuff better than people are worried about. Um, just because there are a ton of obvious problems with you know no stakes, infinite universes, etc. Right? Uh, mm -hmm. I feel like they've got some good story writers, so we'll see how it shakes out. But uh, as far as the de-escalation and power creep stuff, like <laughs> it, the the TV show Supernatural, I talk about quite a bit. I can't honestly recommend it. Like. <laughs> in general to anybody I, I really i thoroughly enjoyed most of it um you know if anyone really wants to watch it i would say skip seasons like 9 through 13 um maybe 8 through 13 i'd have to double check um but like at at the end of season five the stakes are all the way up to biblical armageddon you know, michael versus lucifer uh mm. they had 10 more seasons after that <laughs> and so yeah i i think uh you know one of the seasons it's like the th the fate of the world and it's like okay so and that wasn't the last season. Uh, so they, they, 
And then they get like all these crazy super weapons and then it's like, oh, we lost it. And it's like, well, of course you did because you can't just keep the gun of, of perfect killing, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the de-escalation has to happen in a couple different ways. Um, and some, some I think Supernatural uh, succeeded at the stake adjustments with varying degrees of success. <laughs> nice. Like sometimes you just didn't buy it at all. And other times you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that's fine. It's been a while since I've seen all of it, but uh, it's funny. They, I think June actually does mention this, but I pulled it out in my notes because uh, I, I wrote it down before June did, which is that like exclusion zones su- serve probably definitely those those purposes, but also the the dual purpose of uh, being just a fun place for an adventure, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not clear what game breaking stuff Glass Magic did, but it would have been a really cool low level adventure. Um, when June went there at high level, it was cool, but only, you know, three pages cool. Yeah. Um, so it, I think that that can be half of them. And then think too, just like it keeps the world interesting. If, if they didn't draw a line around the Doris's, then the world would have been Doris's. Yeah. And, uh, the DM is like, okay, that would make Eric really boring. So it's not even just about like a de-escalation of power. It's just like, okay, yeah, we can't have this place start to suck. Hmm. So this, these square miles over here, they'll suck. I wonder what would the world be like if there was like just one country the size of France or something is the only place where internal combustion engines worked because the DM of Earth would be like, all right, you know what? It's going to make it boring if everybody in the world can get to any other place anywhere in the world within a few hours. Plus, everyone can go in and out of their major cities in half hour, hour at most. Like, Let's just confine it to this area here and keep the rest of the world doing other things. Um. I'm not sure what parts of plastic are like run the risk of ending the world, but if it's like any part of the petroleum business that might be involved in the asphalt production of good mm-hmm. roads. And mm-hmm. so then getting out of town would take two hours instead of one. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of just being uh, belligerent here. The, the real answer is like, I think that'd be interesting. And, and that country would just be some powerhouse of industry, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It would be like the Necrolaborum where people would make deals with it and such. Yeah. They'd like- and then that country would be the one that just has tons of pollution because it's the only place on Earth where you can burn <laughs> gas. I mean, oh man, they, they should be building nuclear reactors in the blue fields. Yeah, well, I mean, they already have soul magic, so it doesn't. it's not really needed on Arab. Yeah. But they could maybe use electricity for other things. I mean, they could also just get it from somewhere else, but then I guess you'd need the infrastructure... And how do you how do you draw a power line eighty miles across eighty million or eighty thousand miles across? Also, you know, it could be like that nuclear weapons are excluded, but they can still use nuclear power generation. And the rest <laughs> Why of not? Air- <laughs> right <laughs> now, now that we know more about how exclusions work, and I'm revisiting the nuclear weapons exclusion. Um, that makes perfect sense. Why not? It's like no, yeah. they work perfectly. They just don't explode anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyways. Yeah. Um, I just like that Uther wrote down uh, the one copy of the, the book. You know, A, mm-hmm. he knew it wouldn't go to the library. Um, and B, the fact that he wrote it down, you know, who's it for, right? He, he, I kind of got the feeling it was like, maybe it was just his own notes because they said they discovered it after he died and kind of collated it into a collection. Maybe, but I don't know if he's the kind of guy who took notes. Like, I mean... At the very least, he must have stopped after the whole Bethel thing because he had sketches of Tiff, and that's how shit went yeah. sideways over there. Um, and didn't he also get some kind of perk where he had like perfect recall or something? June definitely had had that at some point. 
And so there's no way Uther didn't. That's my thing. It's like if he's if he's writing stuff down, it's for somebody else. Okay. Yeah. I think that he knew it would be bait, and it's just narratively perfect bait, right? Mm-hmm. I think he wanted to make sure he has followed if anyone else like him came along. No. Maybe as breadcrumbs for June. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Uh, so yeah, going forward, uh, the call of gold is basically using June to gather information on, uh, what Parasev had here. And June says, yeah, the idea of the call of gold gathering information was a bit frightening and it is, it's an alien intelligence that's living (laughs) inside of you with goals that, you know, mostly are antagonistic to your own goals. They, they sometimes line up, I guess, but I mean, I think it would make a really great horror story to, really go down that route of having oh you know what didn't worm do that with uh the two guys um so uh, this was in ward there were the two brothers that they just swapped out like the same physical space the one that was yeah. in the back seat couldn't even like nudge thoughts into the one that was driving yeah so it just made it this kind of like terrible hellhole style thing i do remember there was a tabletop role-playing game that was kind of like this where everybody had like a dark side that would possess them and it was uh it was evil basically and the way it worked was that other players would role play your dark side and they you know they do things to try to fuck you up and vice versa you would have to do things to fuck them up i never played it but it seemed like a great idea that sounds like a really fun idea yeah i can dig it um yeah the, the call of gold knows what he knows and then some because it was like there's gold nearby go shake down that l or that uh goblin no no yeah. so the chapter ends with the call saying liquidate everything mm-hmm. and it's being bossy about it uh which was actually kind of fun and, and unnerving i think this might have been where he had the idea of the call gathering information because it was like you know oh i can't give you a good estimate and the call is like make her give you a number and he's mm-hmm. like i'm sorry i need you to tell me a number um if i don't it might tell me to uh coerce it out of you um like yeah. specifically rather than just say force anyway so i was thinking like you know sure it'd be cool if he has a gold major when they get when they go to the felsey exclusion zone you know i would like that because i want him to have a smooth time and win and get to arthur but i don't think that'd be satisfying right unless there's some you know cheat that makes gold magic not awesome there but it, I'm sure there'd be something that the DM could pull out of his hat. Yeah. I I mean, at the very least, it, it would make his job there easier. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to give it up while he's there. Like, it's going to be like, hey, go Ooh. back go back to the, the Paris's library. Make sure those books are being sold. It's like, okay, <laughs> fuck you. I'm not leaving. He's like, Grack is going to die. I can't leave now. Right. Kyle Gold's like, okay, you're not Superman anymore. I'll, I'll take the power and run. I swear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I feel like, you know, it's extorting him and I get it. Like it's not an, it's not quite an intelligence because otherwise you could threaten it. Mm-hmm. Like, look, man, you want gold. I'll get it to you. How much do you want? You want a thousand pounds? I'll give you 2000 by the end of the week. If you just shut the fuck up, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it, I don't think it works that way. I don't think so either. Alas. Yeah. So 218, a grueling calm. I was the wondering tongue- what this was, yes. like what the title meant, you know, because grueling calm sounds like crushing boredom right yeah yeah i guess so but that's not really what happens i i didn't think so anyway no no it's just uh maybe it was the fact that like i don't know um it was downtime but no one was able to fully relax yeah yeah all right i'll lean with that i just i liked the title name a lot or the chapter name a lot it is cool and if there's some subtler illusion or or pun then i am missing it same z's 
cool. So June is talking to a tongue, uh, a, I don't know what exactly she does there, but lower level tongue anyway. And, uh, she says, Amaryllis felt it instrumentally important to allow us freedom and leisure. And June's like, huh? So why did you feel the need to make it clear that it wasn't freedom and leisure for its own sake? And, uh, oh, Elizabeth, that was her name, says, there is some argument within the tongue about the studies on which her understanding is founded. Almost all of the studies cited in the design document for our civilization used humans or dwarves, with none being specific to the tongue. And, like, this is just a casual conversation he has with a random tongue that he ran into in an elevator. I absolutely think that I would love to be one of these tongue, because they're basically an entire society of rationalists like there was no you know oh amaryllis is evil and and appeals to emotion and other bullshit it was more like uh yeah i think she's wrong and i think there's good reasons for thinking that she may be wrong and this is what they are and this is i mean the civilization could take over the world maybe because this these are people who were raised with rationalism from birth and it isn't just like a a handful of them trying to implement it while they're swimming through in a full society of insane people they like they have an entire society of rationalists supporting them I, they they seem awesome and i would love to be part of that society i'm just thinking like easy chairman mao um Wait, i why 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 chairman mao they these people live in a culture where they don't get to pick anything about their lives where they're you know they probably don't get to pursue their own education. Uh, they don't get to pick their... Uh, Wait, did we get to pursue our own education? We got to, you know, to some extent. Um, certainly, we weren't shoved straight from school into a battlefield where we're like, all right, you guys are all combat medics now. Um, well, it, sure, but that's because there, our nation wasn't under attack, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the... I, I, don't, I don't know. This It feels like it's it's close to optimal, but kind of like... Not in the same way, but in a in a similar style as the Necrolaborum is is optimal, right? And it's like, oh yeah, it's efficient as all hell. Um, but that's not all we care about here. Uh no, they they care about, you know, freedom and leisure and other things as well. They just have a very well structured, sane society. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's cause it's a little later that he's talking with uh Liam about this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. in this conversation with Elizabeth, he's just, uh, and that's another thing too. I mean, we got to talk about the, the culture erasure, right? Liam and Elizabeth are not frog people names. Uh, right. You know, they, uh, they grew up worshiping their dear leader, Amaryllis, who has been deified basically. And she has, yeah. I mean, and again, if anyone's earned it, it's her, uh, probably more so than June. <laughs> and- <laughs> well, also this is a far better culture than the typical tongue culture, which was a society of male slaves basically ruled over by a few matriarchs i couldn't remember what exactly was wrong with the frog culture that or the the tongue culture that eswin wanted to get away from but yeah i mean just because it's better than the shithole they came from doesn't mean that like it's it's awesome uh don't get me wrong it's better than what we're living in at least to my ears it's good i you know they don't get to pick their jobs you know to some extent they don't get to pick their jobs uh, well the way liam describes it later uh will we can we can jump around a bit, but the uh, basically because June's pressing him on the point. Let's let's actually save that if we can. Remember, we'll circle back to that specific question. Uh, okay. Because I I could just uh, I mean when does he talk with him? It might be next chapter or something. So I'm trying to. Uh, yeah, we we took notes on it. So when we get there, we'll uh, we'll talk about it then. Yeah, I'll find it later. 
Okay, cool. Okay, thanks for bearing with me. So, so basically, I I want all the tongue fanfic because they sound awesome. Write one. Do it, man. I need I need more copies of myself to do that. I don't have enough time for everything as it is. Isn't that a drag? It is a total bummer. Yes. Um, I would have more time. I you know what? That's a rant for another day. Okay, well we'll hold on to it. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, this rant will never go away because it's a permanent part of my life now. What the back pain? Yeah, the back injury. I had at least a good thirty three percent more life uh, back then, and uh, and and it really sucks. It's like I mean, it it sounds when when someone say like I I lost you know half my life to this or that injury. I I, I never knew entirely how to take that, but no, like I I literally get one third less done on a on a good day than than i did in the past and you know that just means i will have time for one third less things in my life and uh it's it's as effective as taking away a third the last third of my life except the last third is the shittiest third anyway it's taking away a third of my life that's why i'm still good here so it's it's extremely frustrating but but like i said nothing i can do about it now no i mean i feel you i think uh what i was gonna say the reason i said it incredulously is that you know, it's still a solvable problem. Uh, oh, well, hopefully someday. Yeah, we'll try that stem cell uh, bioaccelerator place. It's worth trying. Why not? It's like $5,000, which is not, it's not cheap. But, you know, if it gives you back a third of, a third of your life, I mean, it's its worth, a, this is where you sit down and crunch the numbers. Is it worth a 10% chance of, of success? Is it worth a 50% chance? Probably. I mean, is is that the chance of success? Or is it like 0% they just take money from rich Americans? I haven't talked to them yet, but I have been told that that's like where uh, places like this is where, you know, professional athletes go, you know, when they ruin their knee playing football or something. Okay. So they can get back to the game. But we'll, uh, we'll save most of that for another day. But I'm just, I, w- I wanted to let you give the, the short version of that because, uh, you know, I, I think we're far from the point of like all hope is lost there. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, I got to believe that because I got to think my shit can get better eventually too. So um, yeah, good point. But you know, I'm I'm also managing. All right. So more stuff about how the frogs are getting shafted. They're, they're not at the party. <laughs> not a single, not not a one. That and, is pretty fucked up. Well, you know, part of it is probably because like you can't fit them all there, and mm-hmm. if some got to go, it'd be unequal. And this is a, a communist society. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure they've got their. 15 minutes of revelry scheduled every month, right? So yeah. they get to relax, take their shoes off, 15 Wait minutes. Wait a minute. <laughs> hold, hold on a second there, that's, Mr. That's, straw Man. So, something like that is what uh, um, what Elizabeth says. Uh, Elizabeth says that uh, leisure and freedom are important for us. And the reason they're important is because we need to be able to work more. So she's like, she doesn't like the reasoning behind it, but they do get leisure and freedom. And it sounds like probably round enough right when he asks her you know is there anything we can improve upon before we make a hundred thousand more uh she's like well i'm busy working i'll think about it during my leisure time yeah. and it's like you mean your job here doing guard duty is too important to spend five minutes weighing in on the future of a hundred thousand of your kin um i don't know i feel like they're being worked too hard that their that their autonomy isn't being respected it's entirely possible that liam you know because he makes the point later that like we're basically a collectivist society that's just how we work so mm-hmm. maybe they're they're not being you know their their preferences aren't being uh, disrespected or anything. So shrug. Yeah. We'll right. find, well, we'll see. We'll Going see. Forward. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no. It that that does suck that there isn't even one at the party. I. You know. I guess uh, they don't need bodyguards in there, and they're not equals. Um. 
Yeah. And again, it would probably sow some discontent if some got to go, but not others. So maybe it's the only, you know, the only fair way is that no one gets any. It's, it's, we, I, yeah, I read a really interesting book, which I'm actually writing a book review that of, which will be up by the time this episode is up. So, hey, I guess I'll put a link to it here. Yeah. Uh, but th- there, there was a really cool book where there was a, it wasn't, you know, nearly this many people. I think there were like a few dozen people on the space station. And, uh, the, the owner of the place was there as well. And like he, he has a little bit of vodka and a cigar that he managed to bring up from earth because shipping anything out into space is expensive as hell. And he's celebrating and he invites one of the like low level workers over to celebrate with him. Right. Uh, which on the one hand, you know, very cool thing to do to, to party with one of your dudes, but also like it literally can't not be a power play. And like, he knows this uh, and I'm not sure if the worker quite picks up on it as well. He probably does, but like, as part of his reasoning, he's like, well, I am the thought process behind how he chooses the guy to come and party with him and what it means to everybody else to know that this guy came to party with him as well is it's interesting because the guy is thinking about it at the time. It's not just a, I want to be a cool bro moment. It's also a, I acknowledge that this has ramifications and other people see it. And I'm taking that into consideration as well. It's a really cool book. I feel like they're, was some something like that and something that I read in the last few years, which means that you probably read it, where like there was some pressure to be like, no, no, come enjoy this. It's like I can't because not you know, I'll be the only I'll be the odd man out. How am I how am I gonna take the day off when they can't or something? I, this is ringing a bell for me and I can't remember why. So it does sound familiar too, but it's not what I'm thinking of. No. Because I didn't read I didn't read whatever you're talking about. Yeah. But it's it's it does sound familiar what you're saying. Something like that kind of happened in the movie hole, the book slash movie holes. Um, but it wasn't a random person; it was the guy who dug up that like lipstick cap or something. Um, I got to go see that movie. I keep hearing it's good. And I don't from June. <laughs> um, well, no, I've I've heard it from a few other people. Before. I don't remember if the movie's any good or not. I I remember not disliking the book. It was mandatory reading in school at some point. So most of those I hated. This one I didn't. Um, cool. But I don't know if it's it, it, I wouldn't put on your short list, but someone else who's seen it more than or you know, sometime in the last 15 years, let them know if it's any good. So, I mean, I heard it was good for the target audience that it's aimed at, which is significantly younger than us at this point. But still, you know, yeah, I have no good. I, I have I can't remember anything about the movie, I guess, other than nope. Shia LaBeouf was in it, but I don't remember him in it. So, yeah, well, that's because he wasn't, you know, a, a bearded, blood soaked killing machine in the movie. So not yet. Much more forgettable. Yeah. <laughs> growth mindset so uh when june uh is going to this party thing he sees val and val like is like hey juniper and she's happy and she bounces over to him and like when both this time when she greets him and uh in our last reading when she was rushing over to him uh it it reminded me actually that i really have a crush on val and she's awesome and that's probably why i've never really been that suspicious of her and i think uh I don't know. I, I I preferred my first reading in that sense. Although I did hate her after she killed Fen because I read that wrong for a while. But eventually, I got over that even because she's like just you know really adorable. So yeah, Vale's cool. I mean, I just like how she's possibly literally Satan, and you're like, eh, but she's cute and fun, right? I mean, it's adorbs, dude. Yeah, it's great till she rips your dick off, but I right up until don't- then. <laughs> maybe afterwards too who knows she'll she'll convince you it was a great great idea yeah she'll be like dude isn't it so much better now that you aren't burdened by this thing always making you make bad decisions uh 
she's very persuasive. Um, <laughs> she's also over her Harry Potter hype. Oh. And June was like, oh, man, that's kind of a bummer. You know, don't you think it's kind of a bummer that, you know, you've outgrown this thing that you really liked? And she's like, well, sure. But what I really like are the happy memories to outgrow. But I want to leave a trail of happy memories behind me. My first thought was like, well, that's kind of sweet. And then I was like, well, hold on a second. I don't want to leave a trail of happy memories. I want a bag of holding so I can bring all my happy, happy memories with me all the time. Um, that would be awesome. I think you can do both. Because I get what she's saying. You know, like I'm not as into Harry Potter, for example, as I once was. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, but the the years that I was enjoying that stuff, I'm glad that, that the Stephen of those years was enjoying it. So. so it seems like you have a trail of happy memories. I suppose I do. But I, I wish I could have both. You know what I, know. I, you know what I can I- do is I can keep pictures in my brain of the the happy times throughout the life, right? I can, I can carry the photo book with me. I love torturing metaphors. Um, I, it sounds like you're having a trail of happy memories or a photo book of happy memories. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's the problem with, with having happy things in your past that you, you can't be living them right now. And that sucks because that was great. I don't know the whole, the whole change thing. It, it's weird. You can't have it. You can't be happy that it's happening. It's a catch 22. I mean, I don't think Dr. Manhattan thrived living out his entire life consecutively all the time, right? Um, uh, no yeah. surprises. He was always experiencing the moment of being ripped apart in that machine when he before he became, you know, the blue man that he we all know and love. Um, yeah, sure, but you could maybe if you could ignore the bad parts and just always be reliving the good parts. I suppose. I mean, that sounds like some wireheading talk to me, but I, I'm who am I to judge? <laughs> Speaking of all this, have you seen Everything Everywhere all at once yet? No. It's quite fun. I would recommend it. Uh, it's it's a good multiverse movie, and it's good, like, old-style kung fu action. And it's just, it's funny. It's it's a great time. Super into it. It's all, I'll put it on my list. I would say see it before the next Marvel movie you're planning to see, but I know that's not going to happen. Well, I'm, I'm waiting to see the Marvel movie with my brother. So, um, you know, I've got the weekend. Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll go see it then. If it's still in theaters, give it a shot. Oh, and if it's not, then I'll just do it the the old-fashioned way. Arr! Exactly. Because <laughs> I'm an <laughs> asshole. Uh. <laughs> cool. I don't think you're an asshole if you literally can't see it in theaters anymore. All right. So I saw a great movie uh, mm. last night called The Lost City. It's wow. got Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock. And Oh! Yeah, it was really funny. Um, cool. It was, it was stupid and funny and great. And I wanted to pay to see this. I tried and hmm. the uh, the prime video app was like, you could pay to watch it if you sign up for a subscription to Paramount. And I'm like, I'm not doing uh, that. Yeah. You know, last week I paid 20 bucks to watch a movie. It was yeah. a horror movie with Sandra. Oh, it was okay. Um, hmm. But I would pay 20 bucks to see this if they just charged me, but I'm not about to sign up to, you know, get some fucking monthly fee. Um, yeah. Then I'm sure that if I back out of, it's going to hose me somehow. So no, I, I just a couple days ago listened to a podcast where they interviewed the guy who made the prosthetic penis for that movie. I'm trying to think of the prosthetic penis. There was a penis in this movie? Apparently. I feel like I would have remembered. I uh, haven't seen it yet. Maybe you're just so used to seeing penises now that they don't stick out anymore. It's entirely possible. If there was a penis, I don't think it was sticking out. <laughs> Do you remember the penis in the Watchmen movie? Oh, yeah. It's unforgettable. Okay, okay. Yeah. No, he's hung. Um like the way in the Watchmen movie, it sort of sinuously wiggled back and forth. I was like, wow, that is ridiculous. Oh, I and forgot about I that. I love it. I just remember yeah, that when, right? he, when he first appears as Dr. Manhattan in the cafeteria, I think it's center frame. It's, <laughs> it's definitely not like, you know, lower 10% of the, the screen. Anyway, point is, funny movie, and I tried to pay to see it. Piracy. Where were we? The Matrix? That sounds right. 
The Matrix, yes. We were talking about movies, and they are also talking about movies. See, uh, relevant. Val, totally. Uh, Val's talking about The Matrix with June, and she's saying that it was confusing to her how uh, or why everyone accepted that there even was a real world. Neo takes the red pill, and then he doesn't suffer from any misunderstanding of the nature of reality after that. He never thinks that the ship he's on is yet another simulation. Uh, which, by the way, this reminds me of a great fanfic of Worth the Candle that I read, uh, which I will have to link to you that is relevant to this. And I'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, the the she makes that comment about the Matrix, and I'm like, dude, it's because the Matrix is a movie about dissociation, and the red pill cured the dissociation. It was great. Uh, so, so, you know, once you don't have the dissociation anymore, you don't worry about if the world is real or not, because it obviously is if you aren't suffering from that. Yeah. Although, you know, as we learn in the later movies, it obviously wasn't. Well, it's not clear that the later movies are part of the plan. Um, at least and not also to me. they don't exist, but we'll get to that later. Right. They don't exist. I, I, I like just June's reply. And he's like, okay, so you wanted a different movie? Like, right. <laughs> it, it's spot on. Um, yeah. I, you know, he kind of impatiently slaps down her critique and I, I'm 100% behind it. Um, you know, it this wasn't a rationalist take on this topic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know what Val wants to hear. Uh, I what I think that this is coming up for because why would she be talking about the Matrix? I don't know if they brought it up uh, when they were talking about the stairs or if we did, but that's why it's up. In, that's why it's coming up in the story. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like is this base reality? Is Earth based reality? You know, does it actually matter? As long as your problems mm-hmm. are better, um, mm-hmm. I think I think that's kind of why why we're talking about it. But I just like how he's just like you know you should just try and enjoy it for like what it was rather than what you think it should have been. Yeah. And I think that's a, a good way to try to enjoy a lot of fiction for me. You know, if something sucks, I'm not going to like cinema sins it. I hate it. You know, that, that, that YouTube channel was funny for three videos. Um, mm-hmm. But when it is so close to being really, really good, you know, that, that's where I will kind of like nitpick. Cause I don't feel like it's nitpicking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in captain Marvel, if we, if we, if we were as amnesiac amnesiatic, whatever about uh, uh, Carol Danvers's past as she was, that would have been a fun reveal. Um, mm-hmm. Instead, like it gave us the, the information in the, in a different order than she got it, you know, in yeah. wonder woman, if uh, the second one, I mean, the one that kind of sucked, unfortunately, um, oh. you know, th- there's like three things they could have changed to t- turn that movie from like, kind of like a, a disappointing train wreck to like, Oh man, that was fucking great. You know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, they could have just fixed those three things. Anyway, I don't think that's the same kind of nitpicking as what Val's doing. Val is like ripping apart the entire, she's missing the entire point. And it's possible I'm missing the point of Wonder Woman, but I don't think I am. No, I, from what I've heard, everybody said it was one of the worst pieces of crap of that year. You didn't see it? I heard it was one of the worst pieces of crap of that year. No, of course oh. I didn't see it. Whoa. As much as I love Wonder Woman and I love Gal Gadot, I wasn't going to see something that bad. Yeah, I knew that you liked the first. I thought you'd try the second one and be like, yeah, no one knows what they're talking about. Um, <laughs> I feel like you'd have no. a fun time, you know, you'd, you'd watch it and be like, oh, okay. Yeah. If they changed this, this, and this, this would have been perfect. I feel Dude, like that's a fun who, kind of thing to you know explore on your own too, but not when you don't have infinite movie time. Loved, no, I know people who loved Wonder Woman. Like I loved Wonder Woman did not like the second one. There's, there's no reason for me to, to put myself through that, especially when I don't even have enough hours to write awesome tongue fanfic. Yeah. Once you have infinite time, watch it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the same reason. Like, I really want to watch Supernatural. Like, I keep hearing about all this stuff about it. I'm like, oh my God, this is like the my Xena days, except 10 years later when the budget is much better. And I really want to see this. But then I'm like, with what time, sir? 
And uh, my answer is, oh, yeah. So someday I'll get around to seeing Supernatural, but that day is not today. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, put it low on your list. I'll, I'll put together like a, what do you call it? A skip list? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Or I could even just do a watch list. Here's the dozen episodes that you need to see. But anyway, let's uh, let's push past all that. Um, okay. June is pointing out that uh, the Matrix, the, the the reason it was so big is that like the, what, what does he say? A lot of the philosophical impact wasn't because it had any really new ideas. It was that it packaged them in a way that made talking about those ideas easier for lay people. Which, yeah, like popularization is extremely important. That was one of the big things that made the sequences uh, really cool. Like there's a number of awesome new innovative thoughts in them, but a lot of it is just repackaging things in ways that made it easier to understand and talk about. So that's that's really big, too. Yeah, and I'm I, into I, it. Yeah, and I love that there's a discussion of the Matrix and Worth the Candle. That's absolutely perfect and on brand for Worth the Candle. Totally. And we kind of raised the question of like the, you know, is there a base reality um and yeah what, last week yeah but i think you know it, in context of the matrix it's worth not forgetting that base reality sucked yeah but we both agreed that we would still want to be in it despite the suckiness i mean i i think what i said last week was like whatever level of reality i'm in now is my favorite um you know if, if i learned that i'm i'm one level deep into a uh series of matrixes um i know it's matrices but uh hmm. Like, I think I'd want to stay here, um, you know, unless I woke I up we... and all of this was all, you know, incorporated into my my larger memory of stuff or whatever. But uh, uh, we're going to have to run back the tape from last week, because I'm pretty sure you said that despite the fact that you like it here, you would like you would you want to be on the base level of reality. Uh, yeah. Someone tell me because I listened to the episode in the last two days and I I feel like I said this is my favorite level of reality, but I'm sure other oh. times I've said that I, I like real reality. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm remembering earlier things. Cause if you just re-listened to the episode two days ago, your memory is fresher than mine. Well, uh, it might not be more accurate though. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I have a sentimental attachment to, to real, to reality. Um, but that said, I, I feel like it's this one. And so if I learned there was one higher, I'd be like, oh, I'm good. This is where all my friends live. You know, like yeah, it worked for Neo to get out. Cause he didn't have any friends. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, it worked for June because he didn't have any friends. Like, <laughs> right. I, there are people here I would miss. Um, yeah. And I, I don't want to be uh, the only one who gets to jump ship and go to a different universe. So uh, that might be super lame. Yeah. But, you know, again, so let's, you know, it, if uh, if Neo wasn't sure, because this is actually relevant because June's going to be in these in his shoes, uh, you know, shortly, um, probably. Uh you know, if Neo wasn't sure that base reality, whatever, the one that Morpheus took him to was the real reality. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, I'm going to give it like a 50-50 odds that this is actually real. Put me back in the Matrix. You know, at least I had air conditioning there and clean drinking water, you know? like I think he would prefer uh, the uh, Zion reality, the Matrix reality anyway, because in the Zion reality, he has um, Trinity. He has... A lot of friends. He has a small cult that thinks that he is Jesus. Like those are all things he didn't have in Matrix reality, right? Uh, forget Neo. Let's some random mook. Uh, <laughs> well, some random mook is named Cipher, and he literally sold out all his friends to get back in the Matrix. And uh, that's a somewhat sympathetic move. You know, don't get me wrong. You're, it was a dick move. You shouldn't have done it. You should have found a way to do it without selling people out. But I understand the idea of like, no, wipe my brain, put me back. This sucks. Um, yeah, totally. Uh, I'm. I agree. It sh- it should be a choice rather than you know not a choice, right? Um, 
Although I also kind of get the feeling that anybody who does get booted out of the Matrix, it really wasn't much of a choice for them. They were kind of glitching out anyway. And, uh, and the thing that sucks is that the machines forced him to kill his friends to take him back rather than just being like, yeah, sure, come on back, homie. I don't even know if they put him back. They just said they were going to. You know? But Neo killed him. Or not Neo. Uh, it was Tank that killed him before oh, he could that's kill right. everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I liked uh, Link's an XKCD here. Yes, Valencia is told the lie that there are sequels, and uh, we correct the record uh, that, no, there were not sequels, and I, we will link the XKCD that demonstrates that there are no sequels. Perfect. In the show notes. And I put in a gift from Westworld that I realize now is kind of spoilery if you never saw the first season. I saw it on YouTube. Uh-huh. I didn't watch the trailer, but they made, they're making a fourth season. Apparently, the show is still going. Uh, huh. I enjoyed the first season and didn't bother trying to keep going afterwards. Yeah, I... Uh... I had mixed feelings about it, but this, the first season was certainly more enjoyable than not. I feel like it told like the story. I felt like it told a complete story. Um, yeah. That, that's that's where I'm at with it. I actually like that. I'd have to, we'll have to have a conversation sidebar later about uh, Westworld. And well, like, I liked it overall. There were just like a, an episode here or there that felt like filler that I didn't like. Oh, I'm sure that was the case. I have I can't remember any of that stuff right now. Um, yeah. it's, uh, it's one of the things like I'm watching Better Call Saul. And season six is mostly edge of your seat stuff, but it reminds me of like, oh yeah, this does hail from the days of like, you know, eight or 10 episode seasons and you'd get like three or four really boring ones. Uh, but I mean, that's you don't I remember them watching. in hindsight. You only remember them when you're waiting week to week. That's why I stopped watching um, Westworld in season two. There just was too many of those filler episodes that had nothing to do with anything. And I was like, I right, fucking I'm out. Yeah, I ain't got enough time for this. I, if I was going to be watching bullshit, I'd be watching Supernatural because then at least it'd be fun. Give me, give me the cliff notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I can't wait till you start Supernatural and you're like, what is this hot garbage, Stephen? God, you got <laughs> shitty taste. <laughs> but hot garbage that's fun is good. Well, we'll see. Um, all right. So Amarillo's also has her gripes with the Matrix. I love it. <laughs> yes, she does. She says that there are reasons. If there are reasons that people are able to bend the rules of the Matrix from within, then they're contrived. And June's like, well, I mean, she's like, no, contrived. <laughs> a sensible program architect would have physics that behave in consistent ways in accordance with physical reality rather than creating them from beliefs of the people within the program and so on and so forth. So I won't get into everything she said, but in light of all that, Amaryllis is not aware. Uh, gosh, I don't have a source for this now. Um, but to the best of my recollection, at least, uh, in the original script, the machines didn't actually... Uh, use the humans for as a power source uh the machines didn't have enough processing power to i don't know run all of themselves or do everything they wanted to do i don't know why they didn't have enough processing power so they used human brains as cpus uh and they siphoned off a fraction of that human brain processing power to create the matrix which would keep the humans pacified and they could keep using the other like i don't know 60 percent of their brain power for whatever calculations they were doing uh and so like it makes a lot more sense since the brains are literally the hardware that the matrix is running on that the humans that are running that hardware could possibly monkey with the simulation since they're running it. And it, it was, it was much less contrived in my opinion, if that would have been the case, but also, you know, it was changed to they're, they're using humans as an energy source because it was thought that 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 longer, harder explanation was too technical and confusing for a lay audience, especially in 1999, uh, which made a bunch of things in the movie quite a bit lamer, in my opinion. But still, who cares? Machines are enslaving us. Humans must rise up. Raw. Yeah, that part, that was the salient part of the story, right? It 
you know, mm-hmm. it had the the glaring pop, plot hole of like, you know, you guys could get more energy out of these humans if you just threw them into a fucking furnace than yeah. if you fed them uh, to whatever, try and harvest their BTUs. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, no, I, I seem to remember the same thing about the um, using their their neural pe- whatever. Like the they, and the other thing about the the BTU explanation is like, why even have a matrix then? Yeah. You know? But no, if you, you don't if, need it, yeah, if you need their brain to you know, be doing stuff so you can harvest some of that energy or whatever computational power, then yeah, you keep it busy by having them go to work and do pointless shit. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I like all that. What's funny and just Amaryllis seems to not understand, or maybe she she doesn't seem to one that usually lets things go right over her head. Like she's talking about how contrived that is and how, you know, any sensible architect would have physics behave in consistent ways. And like, have you been to Arab? <laughs> like, <laughs> this, half the shit here is, is ad hoc of like well i want it to be flat well what about the sunrise fuck it sun it, it doesn't matter no time zones you know and that's just that's just the sun like yeah. oh yeah if you, if you cross this line nuclear weapons work and it used to work everywhere but then we decided that they you know it, not we it the universe decided that they don't work anymore like it, it, it is way glitchier than the matrix I mean, maybe she's really salty because she knows Arab is contrived and bullshitty like this. And she's like, look, you were in an awesome reality that is actually real and holds to rules. And you couldn't even figure that out for your fucking movies. Yeah, I uh, I, I think that that might be it. Um, I'm just surprised that no one pointed out. Be like, have you seen the everything and just gestures over <laughs> his shoulder? Um, so, no, I uh, I like that a lot. Um, I, uh, yeah, and yeah. she has... She, she does have that other thing where she's like, everything about the premise is interesting, but they fail to execute on any of it. Instead, they just go with the chosen one going through a very typical hero's journey. And I'm like, honestly, Amaryllis, how often is the villain of a hero's journey basically a reification of dissociation? It's not common. And if anything, I think it's kind of interesting that it resonated so strongly uh, in 99 with so many people. Because, uh, I don't know, was it... a really widespread problem back then i i guess it must have been if it was this popular because like sure it was awesome action and awesome cgi for the time but there was more to it than just that like people loved it for for the deeper stuff and uh i, I think that was a, a a big deal back then it, like it's, things are better now uh. like i don't know i, I got better so <laughs> i maybe are things just as bad Oh, I don't know. That's a good point. I get the feeling that young people are just as discontented as as they ever were, if not more. Oh, I think they're strongly discontented, but I'm not sure if the dissociation with reality is quite as strong because, like, oh. they have real villains here that they try to strike at, whereas they've got fake the villains 90s, here they try to strike at most of the time, but not to nitpick. Well, yeah, okay, <laughs> but like in the '90s, it was the end of history, right? Like there, there was nothing. All you could do is kind of be disaffected and Generation Xy. I wonder how fucked everyone is who was born in like after 2000 who never didn't have an iPhone. I mean, based on statistics of mental health, pretty fucked. Yeah, I bet they're pretty fucked. Like growing up on the internet must have been a nightmare. Like growing up on today's internet. You know? Right. I was growing up as a teenager when uh, at least a maybe young teen when you got internet in the house. And, you know, that was all no one, no one was making money on the internet back then. So it was just people goofing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find any of the yeah. terrible CD corners of the internet back then. So it was just like, you know, Newgrounds and E-Bombs World and Flash Games and, right. you know, uh, all the, you know, the pointless shit. It was great. Uh, yeah. I didn't grow up on 
Instagram. Uh, that'd be terrifying. I'll tell you, I had a coworker a few, a couple years ago, asked me if I, Hey, do you have IG? I'm like, cause it was over text. Oh. And I was like, what's that? She's like Instagram. And I'm like, Oh God, I'm old. And no, I don't. Um, uh, <laughs> So if someone asked me that, I would reply, no, I play Space Marines because in my world, IG is Imperial Guard. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, I'll keep that in my back pocket if uh, <laughs> if I'm ever asked again. Um, let's see. Segway smooth transition into Amy and uh, uh, Raven talking about the clones. Yeah, they're t- the June walks over, so he has an equally smooth transition, jumping into the middle of the conversation, uh, where Amaryllis is saying that, um, you know, if they can think and feel like a member of the mortal species, then they deserve rights, don't they? Uh, and I agree with Amaryllis on this. Obviously, I think you is going to as well, as well as all of our listeners, because we're all raised in the Western world. But yeah, by, by extension, I think that um, anything that can... Uh, feel and think deserves rights, even if it's, you know, a program instantiated on silicon. And conversely, if something can't think or feel, then it doesn't deserve any rights, which is why our phones don't have rights, as well as various things that we talked about in our latest Bayesian conspiracy episode. I, I don't know if it was clear if you didn't know what we were talking about, like if you didn't listen to the Bayesian conspiracy, that we're, that's what we're hinting at. So an abortion reference, that's... Yes, that I, we don't believe fetuses have rights. I, I just, uh, or at least I don't. I wanted to just say that, saying this is what we're talking about, and now, gotcha. I, now I've belabored the point. Um, oh, it's okay. I can make the point less laborious than post. <laughs> um, so they're talking about like how oh, it's not so simple, and you know when rights conflict with each other, you have issues like voluntary servitude. You run into problems. And June says, "All right, just just to be clear, we're all against slavery." And Amarillo says, "Well, it depends." And he's I just love it. He's like, does it, does it really? Um, hmm. it, it's he, uh, I, I, I knew that Aaron was going to throw some, you know, bullshit nuanced case that like, okay, yeah, sure. In this, in this case, you know, whatever. Um, uh, but you know, he's, he's got his principles. I love it. And, uh, just like Uther. And I correctly predicted that just like Uther, he'll hammer the world into a better shape before leaving it. And, uh, well, we knew most of that about Uther already, but apparently he uh, he solved slavery on Arab um, mm. with a very well reasoned argument and then two awesome wars. <laughs> so, <laughs> so awesome. I mean, he seemed to enjoy yeah. I don't it. know. I, I, you know, I admired the idealism. I feel strong emotions about idealism that are very positive. Uh, I used to be. I guess I still am an idealist. But you know, when whenever Amaryllis says something like that i always kind of want to hear her case because she is very smart and arab is very different and you know maybe that some people can make compelling cases for infanticide and uh, i i think june would benefit from maybe listening to them sometimes but also i i do at the very least strongly admire that sort of sticking to your guns idealism too so i i, I like them both right oh no me too and i, I think that you know the, the fun thing about arab is that um you know, Uther ran it, tried to, to solve this problem, but nothing's nice and neat. You know, they couldn't yeah, just run exactly. in there and kill Doris or Captain Blue in the bottle because, uh, well, I guess they weren't there to kill Doris, but you get it. Like, no, man, things are messy. And you can you can bet your ass the DMO contrive edge cases to push your uh, your convictions. By uh, creating slave species. Yeah. That said, and, I don't think mm-hmm. that... Because uh, you got a couple jokes, I'll let you get to. Because I, 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 I put this, I think, uh, like 
right when they mentioned slave species that I don't think the existence of house elves is grounds for rejecting the slavery is bad position. Like mm-hmm. they aren't slaves in the usual case. Um, so, so you're saying that it depends. No, I, th- I, I think that that's, that's not a, uh, a case of what we typically talk about, you know, uh, unwilling, uh, Oh yeah, no, the, I, I agree completely. Yeah. But I, I think that's why Amarils would say something like it depends, because oftentimes you'd probably hear people saying we're against slavery and then railing against house elves. Right. So I, I think maybe what she should have said is, well, define slavery, which would have been also inflammatory, but at least then they could be like, you know, she's like, Look, Harry, or look look, June, I read Harry Potter <laughs> and remember house elves? We've got those. And he's like, Oh, okay, sure. Well, not house elves. That's that's different. Because it is. Um, it is, but do you think he would have said that? Uh, yes. Okay. Only because I know that he didn't read Methods of Rationality, but just like Harry, he'd be like, okay, yeah, that's fucked up. But like, I wouldn't have done that, you know, mm-hmm. and I will, I will undo it when I'm God. But, mm-hmm. you know, if, if making them not work makes them depressed as all hell, then I'm not going to, you know, take them away from their jobs. Hold on. When you say I will undo it when I am God, does that mean you will genocide them or like change them so fundamentally that they won't consider themselves the same species anymore or what? Yep. Okay, uh, they they might have a problem with that. I'm gonna just bite that bullet. I know uh, and this is this will lead us into a you know more conversation because <laughs> I can't tell if Grack is being sassy or not. But um, no, I you know if uh, like I don't know if, if you're in the God Chair um, and remember I don't know if you remember specifically in the Goblet of Fire, Winky. I just remembered her name for the first time in like ten years. Was the house elf that got blamed? You know, in all the credulity that every fucking wizard seems to have that's not Dumbledore. Um, oh no, she cast the the dark mark. It's like, but elves can't, house elves can't use wands and that's a very specific spell. Uh, she did it. Um, and everyone <laughs> just buys it so she gets fired. Um, mm-hmm. And so she's just drinking herself to death at Hogwarts. Oh. Like, I think that you, you don't make them that fucked up. If they like doing housework, great, but you you tweak them enough to where they're like, they, they aren't just, you know, suicidally depressed if they get fired, right? It's like yeah. I need to be cleaning master's shoes. Like, no, that's uh, that's I'm, I'm going to fix that part of you, right? Yeah, I guess. I'm trying to like I'm trying to relate this to humans and I guess it would probably be better if like humans didn't get suicidally depressed if they couldn't get laid. But also is that changing the human species too much? Cuz you were also the one who was against Amaryllis modifying her asexuality at all, even a little bit. Like what why is it okay for you to modify an entire species on a deeply fundamental level when she couldn't modify that one little thing about herself? Well, you can't understand because in this case, I'd be God. <laughs> My bad. I am <laughs> inwizened now. Might makes right, Inyash. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, As no. Valencia will be telling us later. Oh, does she? I forget. Um, eh, basically, that is the impression I got from her, but we'll get to that next chapter. Awesome. Um, yes, I, I had two lame jokes, which I guess I can hit now before to. we move on. All right. Uh, so Arab has a few so-called slave species, some kind of firmly rooted idea of themselves as belonging to another, to which I said, ah, yes, monogamists, <laughs> or desire to force autonomy off onto someone else, to which I say, ah, yes, statists, you know, I think your dashboard on the top has a drum roll button that you can click. That'll put it in the audio. <gasps> what? Hold on a second. Drums? Eh, that's not really... Yeah, it doesn't you're have right. A at that's the end that's not as good a one. That said, you can add your own noises there. 
So Okay. Well, I should do that then. So next time I don't have to submit everybody to my terrible uh terrible mouth sounds. I, I think I had uh like oh whoops, whoopsie uh saved when I was doing <laughs> the so good. the Pathos Rationality one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. So anyways, Against Slavery is uh, Uther's book that uh, the very end is the shortest section where he says that if none of the other reasons convinced you, he will personally come and kill you. Which <laughs> 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 is pretty fucking badass. And uh, June asked if he enjoyed it. And yeah, of course he enjoyed it because almost nothing feels as good as moral outrage given violent release. And, you know, Raven says maybe he enjoyed it too much, but like. Let's be real. Being Superman is awesome. And being able to beat the shit out of somebody who actually deserves it. Like, you know, I think maybe, you know, it's not clear how high the power ladder got with Uther or whatever. But after a while, he had to start pulling his punches, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, oh, no, I don't have to pull my punches with these guys. I get to just go nuts. Fuck yeah. You know, by war, I I, mean, you you guys hang back. I'm going to go fix this. (laughs) Yeah. He just goes in, right? Um, I absolutely completely agree with you. And I can't deny it's true a lot of the fiction i read is basically this kind of thing it's great i also kind of not sure how i feel about that being in our hardware as humans because it is often terribly abused and i think one of the uh you know it's really easy to stoke moral outrage against people who aren't actually uh bad and uh so you go and you kill all the jews and you feel really great about it so you know, maybe this this isn't a great thing, but uh, it is what it is, as Grack would say. Yeah, it's 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 bad. It's bad software. I think uh, when you know when I'm fixing the house elves, I'll take that out of people too. Uh, mm. I don't think this is core to us being who we need to be to enjoy, be our best selves. Yeah, but golly, it feels good. <laughs> it sure For the does. reason <laughs> we cheer so much at Neo beating the shit out of those fuckers and uh and yeah then then june is like talking about yeah we should totally do that also for people who deny rights to entads uh, and magical effects and uh Grax says controversially i frown on the genocide of dwarves hmm. because when june entered this conversation uh he entered it as Grax was literally saying dwarves would vote against that because it is strongly against their culture to allow that sort of thing like entads having rights uh the, his uh his nonchalant sassy reply there is like classic rack but it was funny because like, i feel like this kind of hits close to home and so yeah. i don't know if he's trying to be funny but the fact that this is controversially i think he knows that that will be taken as a joke um yeah i think he it's absolutely meant as a joke but also like a haha only serious kind of joke yeah where it's like yeah you know th- this is a joke but also you realize you're gonna have to genocide all the dwarves it just reminded me of when Grack won my heart when uh they had like those two beats when Amaryllis went to the bottle of like, right now that we're alone, we can speak plainly. And when June went in, I was like, and then he says that to Amaryllis. And I was like, you know, it'd be great is if they, if Grax said that up, up top, but there's no way he will because he's too straight laced about it. And then we learned that he did. And I was like, oh man, he's the best. Um, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, I I would hope maybe the dwarves didn't get a copy of Uther's book mm-hmm. and like he can make a very compelling case. That, well, it, Uther never wanted to kill everybody who denied Entad's rights. It sounds like he oh, right, agreed it was just with slaves. them. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, fortunately, it probably won't come down to what the, to what the dwarves think about, um, you know, Amaryllis's clones' uh, aliveness, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. Or or whatever, moral salience. You know, what's dumb is like if they didn't know that they were clones, they wouldn't even know that like they shouldn't care. That's why like that that's a dumb moral principle that these that the dwarves have that I don't understand. Like yeah. this is why uh you know, like um like bad egoist ethics, uh mm. like, oh no, I do what's best for me, you know, and, and the people close to me. And it's like, yeah, but then you get those weird cases where like you don't learn that somebody is close to you until like after you fuck them over. Mm. And it's like, oh wait, you're my my brother-in-law's brother. Um, what does that make? Uh, what well, I don't know. That makes somebody uh, in terms of relation, like my sister's husband's brother. I don't know what that makes him to me, but maybe like brother-in-law twice removed or something. I'm sure the English have some term for it. Yeah, whatever it is. Uh, you know, if I'm some shysty car salesman or something, but I'm I'm legit with my friends and family. And then, you know, I see the guy's last name after I'm done shysting him and he signed the paperwork. I'm like, oh, wait, you're not related to this guy, are you? Oh, shit. Well, I gave you the bad deal. And then you just look like an asshole, right? Because you are. Um, I mean, I, I I know that's happened before, like in, in movies and fantasy books and stuff. I think that actually happens in real life, too. I'm sure it does. Yeah, that, that's the point. That's why that's not a good ethic to operate by. And my the reason I bring this up is because like the dwarves, if they're talking with a clone Amaryllis, they wouldn't even know, right? Until it's yeah. just like, by the way, I'm one of the clones. They'd be like, oh. We shouldn't have been wasting our time talking to you. You're not a real person. And it's like, right? but you guys were fooled this whole time. Damn it. All this time I was talking to a gay. Right. Yeah. So, th- you know, that's it, it, that, that's a perfect example. And it's uh, it perfectly outlines the, the complete non sequitur idiocy of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, I didn't know. I agree. Yeah. No, I I wouldn't want to genocide the dwarves, but I'd like to think that they're amenable to reason. Yeah. And be like, OK, you well, guys realize how dumb this is, right? Then he flex and be like, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they would be convinced by reason, but the flexing, as Amarillo says, like, you don't got to hurt them if they know ahead of time that you are capable of doing it. Like when June can just fly up with a dragon's head and be like, I killed this thing. You want to trust me? (laughs) And, you know, that's true. But I also think it's kind of just an argument for amassing as much power as possible at all times. And... I, I think that, you know, Scott Alexander would kind of frown upon that and call it a symmetrical weapon, which I agree with him with. I'd like for things to be grounded on things other than just like, I'm stronger than you. But I also acknowledge that that is a thing that happens a lot. Refresh my memory. I don't know if I read this one. I must have read something like this. Um, what's the one sentence uh, summary of a symmetric weapon? A symmetrical weapon is one that either side can use regardless of their if they're right or wrong. Like, you know. Uh, I have a bigger army or I have more weapons. All that decides is that who has the bigger army, whereas uh, an asymmetrical weapon is something like reason, because while both sides can use reason, the one that's actually closer to the truth is going to have an easier time of winning. So it favors the people who are in the right. Okay. And so a, a, it's funny because we're saying a space symmetrical and asymmetrical. Um, oh, yeah, you're right. Which is uh, tripping me up, but... Um, you know, it, I think that there's, you can draw a line at like not having to amass as much power as possible. Always. It's just like, no, just enough to be, you know, the most powerful, then you can stop. Um, yeah, it's just big dick diplomacy. I mean, big stick diplomacy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, totes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, what's the next thing in our list here? Uh, Grack's uh, ambition. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Grack says that his desire is to live a simple life with a few good friends 
and a ride of civilization to poke my head into from time to time. And that just like makes me wonder, like, has Scott Alexander Wales actually met <laughs> Scott Alexander Wales? Uh, that makes me wonder, has Alexander Wales actually met Scott Alexander? Because, uh, I mean, I've never met Scott Alexander, but from what I've gathered, Grack sounds exactly like uh, Scott here. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone's ever seen them in the room at the same time. Um, oh, ho, ho. In the same room, I mean, so they, they could yeah. be the same person. Uh, Grack and Scott Alexander? No, I mean, Alexander Wales and Scott Alexander. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the two real both people. are Alexanders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, I think that it's it's a relatable position. Uh, I think all of us, that, that's what makes, you know, uh, to zoom out a bit, that's what makes most of these characters really awesome. Really all of them. Uh, there's something in all of them that not only June can identify with, but all of us, right? You know, yeah. I'd like to say not Val or not Bethel because they're like, you know, with the most problems or whatever. But like, nah, somewhat of that too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's really just like, especially with those two cases, they're like whatever, we all have versions of that, but it's that dialed up to 11. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, sure. We, we all would love to, you know, smash that jerk in traffic who just cut us off, but like we would never actually do it, but Bethel would. Um, and sure. We all felt a little isolated growing up, but not, not like Val. Um, yeah. So no, but I, I think that, you know, we all, we all have a, a bit of this, this crack vibe in us too. So uh, I like it. Me too. Uh, so what is it that they're talking about this? Grack doesn't they say really no care about the, he, he's oh. shouldering the, the hero's burden and he doesn't really care about the outcome. Mm-hmm. And so he's just doing yeah. the work to, cause he has to do the work. He's got the burden and he doesn't even like, you know, want to be a hero. Yeah. Yeah. June says, yeah. In relation to Grack's work, there's no love, there's duty, but that's not a fulfilling thing. It's just rote work for the most part, a job that you have to keep coming to every day, even though you don't like it at all because you need to pay the rent, which in my opinion is basically two thirds of Marvel movies. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> Are, you mean the movies themselves or like, yeah, the movies themselves. Well, I mean, obviously the people no, the people making the movies feel this way and you can kind of feel it with the exception of the, uh, the visual effects guys. I think they're fucking having a goddamn blast every single movie, but uh, I get the feeling a lot of the people involved with making the movies are like, okay, we got to keep cranking this out because they pay the rent. And eventually we're going to get to like a really cool movie, like uh, uh, Spider-Man's homecoming or not homecoming uh, far from, what is the last one? No Way Home. No Way Home. Yeah. Like, No Way Home. Like, they went all out on that. And you can tell that was, like, a, a passion project. But a, a lot of Marvel movies feel like, okay, well, we got to get another one out because we have to put these out every six months. Uh, let's do it. I remember when they were coming out every six months. That was a good, those were good years. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to think that everyone working on them realizes, like, we're working on, you know, one of the coolest things ever. Um, mm. Oh, fun fact. Now that you can get this reference. Uh, the post credit scene in No Way Home. Um, I won't describe it because some people haven't seen the movie, but there's a bartender. That oh, bartender's yeah. name, Danny Rojas. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it's the same guy. Cool. And, you know, I mean, I'm going to have to go and look that up again. Was it a big role? No. But has anyone else on Ted Lasso's soccer team been in the MCU? No. So good for him. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Danny Rojas was a better role because like when you told me about the actor, you said Danny Rojas. You didn't say, you know that guy who plays the really enthusiastic soccer player? He was, and then the bartender's name. Right. Uh, and the funny thing about, as long as we're talking about Ted Lasso and Danny, uh, the actor was a professional soccer player. I would say oh, footballer, neat. but I don't want to rip off the British. Um, so yeah, he was a professional <laughs> footballer and then wanted to get into acting. And I think this was like his first role or at least his first like 
major one. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, he, that's why there's like close up shots of him actually playing soccer because he, he can. <laughs> that's freaking sweet. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. Where were we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Grack's having a bummer time. Grack is having bummer time. Uh, Grack does say that a heaven seems nice, but it is so disconnected from anything we do that I have no faith. There is an alienation from that goal for me. The work that I do advances us towards it, but the connection is often murky. Um, I kind of feel like that feels like a lot of labor in the modern world that we're all very disconnected from the products of our labor. It's because he is the word I, alienation, isn't it? Maybe, maybe <laughs> that was primed me, but like, I, I also don't have very much to say about that anymore because that doesn't apply to me anymore. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Do you, no, you, you beat the game. You, 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 <laughs> there was the system and you're like, Oh no, wait, fuck this. And uh, you're not doing that anymore. So congratulations. You found the, the hack to get out of it. Um, which was work really hard for 25 years, save a bunch of money and then live modestly and still work hard and just don't get paid for it. (laughs) And don't have children. That's kind of the bummer part of this, that people who want to have children are not going to be able to implement this hack. Yeah, that's a good point. They'd have to be, you know, really lucky, um, basically to be born into wealth or win the lottery or, uh, whatever, bought a thousand dollars of Dogecoin on a lark a year ago and then sold it for that, you know, during that week where it was worth 70 cents. Um, yeah, I mean, like, people are, like, mystified about the modern drop in fertility and why aren't people reproducing anymore. Like, bitch, I would have to be working my ass to the bone for the rest of my life if I had any kids. Are you kidding me? No wonder people don't want to have them as much. Yeah, it's weird because I know some smart people with kids and some people who, you know, actually have to work for a living who have, uh, who have kids. And I'm uh, I'm not speaking down. What I'm trying to say is, like, I, well, she won't listen. My sister has three kids uh, mm. or she has she has two and one on the way. Uh, and the fact that we say that and not that she has three kids is also another abortion reference. Um, hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, she's, she's smart and they're, they've been, you know, they've got their finances planned, you know, they've, they've, they've been, you know, doing proper investing for years and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, you realize you're pissing away like thousands and thousands of dollars a year on daycare times two, soon to be times three. Um, mm-hmm. And you're, th- she's actually wants college funds and stuff for him. And I'm, so like, you know, as gift ideas for whatever the birthday is, I'm like, I refuse to contribute to a college fund. I'll contribute to a yeah. fun fund. Yeah. But anyway. Um, I mean, one of the biggest expenses that people don't even seem to count is the fact that if you have kids, you need to live in a significantly nicer neighborhood in a significantly larger house. Like you need to be in a good school district and that is gated by money in the U.S. So uh, that's a problem. You know, I don't know. She's like an insurance underwriter or something. And mm-hmm. I don't know what that pays, but it must pay pretty well. Um, they're, they're sending two of their kids at least because it's like a lottery system and one of them's not born yet, but to private school. Uh, oh, awesome. Well, kind of. I think she doesn't want them, you know, exposed to critical race theory. And, you know, I don't want to say evolution because she's not actually that stupid, but mm-hmm. um, I think it's the. I mean, considering the state of public schools throughout most of the nation, I think that's generally a good idea. Maybe she already lives in a very nice place that has decent schools, but like in general, I would say avoid public schools if possible. I, I, you might be right, but I, I know that you probably get your news about public schools from the same place I get it, which is the Block and Reported podcast. And I'm pretty sure we <laughs> only get the insane shit from them. So mm-hmm. um, I would just be be mindful of the fact that I doubt it's that crazy everywhere. Um, but I'll ask my aunt. Uh, I haven't, we haven't really hung out in the last few years because of the plague. So as soon as I see her again, she's a teacher. I'll, I'll ask her if shit's fucking nuts. Um, mm. But yeah, Grax's position here is a drag. Uh, and I totally get it. 
you know, he doesn't feel attached to the outcome that they're fighting for. Uh, really, I think because he's depressed and he can't summon the will to give a shit. Um, yeah. And he, he also can't summon the will to properly imagine the reward, right? And since the reward is so distant and like not just like in uh, whatever, um, how far he has to go to work for it, but also just like a weird imagining, right? It'd be one thing, you know, for you to work really hard for two months and get $50,000 because, you know, you can comprehend that. Mm. If I said I'm going to give you $400 billion, mm. you'd be, I mean, you'd be stoked. You'd work, you'd work yourself to the bone, but like, absolutely. I don't know. I think that there'd be something about that number where it's like, that just feels unreal, right? I don't, I mean, that might not be the best example because Greg's well, I, I, alienation future is actually like a whole different reality, right? I, I want to agree with Greg here because like I felt the same way very often where I was very disconnected from I, I, basically what I'm doing is helping provide people with housing. And that's a really big deal. People need housing and they feel very emotionally attached to their homes. But like I was doing accounting for a large firm. I had no connection with the final product at all. And I would often on my drive into work, like think about, you know, what what is going on? How did we get to the state of affairs where I just sit at a computer and work on some numbers and people give me a big old fat paycheck None of this feels real at all. And like it got even worse once uh, everything went to direct deposit and automatic bill pay. Because, like, at least for the first few years when I was working in the ancient days, like I would get a check, a physical check that I had to go to the bank to deposit. So I would see like numbers and whole thing in my hand. And then I would have to write a check to pay my rent. And that was numbers uh, that were leaving my bank. And like nowadays, I just go to work and I live. And things take care of themselves because money goes into the bank account, which I don't look at. Money comes out of the bank account that I don't look at. Every few months, I check my account to make sure it's still trending in a positive direction. But like when you're literally just working and you don't see anything and you don't pay for your bills, I mean, not in a direct way, it was it was really starting to get weird for me, man. I, I know what you mean. Um, it's funny. Like the I worked one of my first jobs. I worked at like a trophy factory. I don't know if you mm-hmm. can say that because there were five people who worked there. Um, yeah. That's all it takes to put out many, many hundreds of trophies a day. Um, nice. You know, the, the cheapo ones that you give to soccer players, you know, kids or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I liked that job a lot more. I worked for a few weeks at McDonald's um, mm. and that job sucked. Not just because it was, you know, loud and busy, but at the end of the day at the trophy factory, there was a big pile of shit that I built. Yeah. And I think I got paid the same at both jobs, but it was like, you know, I had the the result of my labor, and I could right? see it. Right. Yeah. Um. You know, at the end of the day, McDonald's looked exactly the same when I left as it did when I got there. Um. Yeah. You know, I guess there's something. You know, if I was in the right mindset, if I as a teenager could be zen enough about it, be like, you know what, people want to come here and they like what they're getting. Mm-hmm. Um. That said, I'm feeding people. I also worked at an ice cream shop for a few, I don't know, a couple of years maybe. Um, mm-hmm. I made ice cream. I didn't give it to people, but. Uh, the people who bought it, it's amazing the amount of people that come in to get ice cream that'd be in a bitch, like in a dick mood. Hmm. And it's like, you guys are getting ice cream. This should be like the highlight <laughs> of your day. Mm-hmm. And you guys are all pissy. I don't, I don't understand it. Um, hmm. Anyway. Uh, yeah. How do you, how do you feel about your labor now that you are a software developer? Um, I've stopped saying that it pays too much because the market has decided how much it pays. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're up to me, it pays too much. Um like that said, though, I like that it pays what it does. Um, I didn't like my last job at all. I worked at a, a giant furniture company and 
you know, we were working on building like a new web catalog. It was not mm -hmm. rewarding work. Um, now I'm working at a place really the product is, um, like Google maps, but for the sky, uh, it's nice. really cool. Um, it's for, uh, drone delivery, like on a mass scale. And mm. we're putting together the infrastructure for that a few years ahead of when this shit's going to hit the market. Um, but Can I invest in this company at all? Not yet. Damn it. Uh, okay. The second that actually I'll figure out legally when I'm allowed to tell you, like we're not, we're not IPO. We're not, we're not going public anytime soon. I'm sure someone would have told me, but I don't know if they'll tell us before they even tell like the public because we would let it leak. But I guess, you know, all that would do is like, what give you the first heads up to start buying stock. But um, no, you can't invest unless you want to start working here. Um, Ooh, stock options. Yes. So do they need an accountant? I don't. I, I don't know. I don't think so. Probably but, not. Um, you. I, I, will, I will look at all our open positions. Um, <laughs> I and I. I suspect they'd probably find something part time because I don't imagine you would ever go back to eight to five. Um, Hell no. So anyway, uh, what's fun is like you know I'm also on a smaller team here. I like what what I'm working on. Um, I'm only like three weeks in, so like I don't like have a lot of ownership on stuff. But I did you know, push my two, first two things to uh, push to production is the fancy way of saying I did stuff to the to the code base that the users can now notice. Um, mm -hmm. That said, the feature that I worked on isn't actually user facing. So no one will notice this, but I noticed. Um, so it's but it's still satisfying. Uh, I don't know. What was the question? Do I like my job? Yeah, it's it's weird because, you know, at the end of the day, you, you didn't there's not, you can look at like, oh, look, I wrote these, this number, uh, this many lines of code or whatever, but that's never how I measure my work. Like it's more, I had fun figuring out problems, um, mm -hmm. but there is no big pile of stuff at the end of the day that I did. Right. Yeah. But I guess uh, to very long windedly answer your question, I guess I don't need that to be happy at work as long as I'm having fun, which I am. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're fulfilled. Yeah. I, I'm remarkably fortunate. So awesome. Yeah. Well, let's bring this podcast back home to Chapter 219, Homecoming Part 1. Let's bring this podcast back home, coming. Wait, you know what's funny? It's Homecoming Part 1, and then the next chapter isn't Homecoming Part 2. Very observant. Yeah, I can read. Um, <laughs> do you, I guess the question, do you think there's going to be a Homecoming Part 2, or do you think this might be some kind of pun or something? It wouldn't be a pun. It would be some sort of like deliberate shout-out to the fact that like they this... They have oh. been talking more and more about how this might be a postmodernist thing. Right. They would totally have homecoming part one without any other parts. Yeah, it would be usurping usurp expectations if they didn't have a part two. But you know what part two is going to be? I predict they will have one. It'll be June meeting Bethel. Um, ah. So this is basically Bethel coming back to the group. But nobody notices because she's not around anybody. Um, yes. So homecoming part two will be them noticing, confronting, okay. talking, etc. Oh, alrighty. All right. So in Homecoming Part 1, it starts out with Valencia and Bethel talking about morality and fairness and such, because that's what they're doing to help uh, Bethel be a better person. And Valencia says the world is unfair. Part of the way that unfairness manifests is that the side of good and decency is disadvantaged. There are burdens placed on those who are trying to do right. This asymmetry is inherent and unavoidable. And the only reason that good will triumph, if it does, is because by happenstance, the good have power over the evil. And... In addition to this, once again, just being an argument for grab all the power you can get all the time, no matter what, <laughs> which I dislike. Uh, this is also just plain wrong, as far as I can tell. Like, evil has advantages that good doesn't have, sure. But good also has advantages that evil doesn't have. So, like, I'm not sure which side has 
the overall total advantage, but to say that it's obvious that good is disadvantaged is just stupid, in my opinion. Kind of the same way that um that she thought that Blue in the Bottle was just stupid for not noticing that everybody in the world isn't just like him. I suspect they're going to knock me down with some obvious historical examples, but because I don't know anything about whatever happened to humans before I was born, um, like I think that the the advantages that that evil has is like, oh yeah, no, we'll use human shields, and the good guys, you'll be deterred by them. Um, yeah, you know, like that gives us a huge advantage. We'll shoot yeah. through, we'll shoot right through through the human shields that we have. You know, we we don't mind blowing up your city, even though it kills mostly civilians. Um, right. But you good guys, haha, you're constrained by your petty morals. You won't kill kids. Right. Bad guys do have some advantages. I, I, I'm i not denying that. But good guys also have many advantages, like the ability to coordinate much better. Like Russia has all the bad guy advantages right now, but their disadvantage of everybody has been cheating and skimming off the top and corruption is rampant. So their tanks ship without all their armor because somebody was selling that extra steel and pocketing the difference. Like that was a major disadvantage, which is making them lose a war to a much smaller power like uh there's disadvantages to being evil as well such as not being able to trust anyone else ever yeah the the coordination is a big part of it i suspect that's where you're going to go with it and i Mm. i'd already anticipated like a hypothetical response which is they don't have a proper dark lord right (laughs) Um, but if we're going to talk fantasy then anything goes so um no i mean you know there's a reason that that society has been getting on the trends better over the last centuries or millennia, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are there are stumbles backwards in the wrong direction, right? Mm-hmm. But was it? It was probably in that gigantic essay, Meditations on Moloch. But you know the the wheel of what is it? The wheel of history turns, or you know, might I can't remember exactly the phrasing, but um, oh, it, it I always think it was trends. Malcolm Luther King quote that uh, the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. That might be it. I feel like this was maybe it was a play on that, and it was like the the ratchet of history moves, but it always moves progressive or liberal or something. Okay. Um, oh yeah, I think I've heard something like that too. Probably was a play off that. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, things are getting better on on the on the average, you know, and uh, that seems to suggest that the good guys are doing something right. So, how do you find? Be- how do you define better in this case? Uh, I don't know. Uh, less starvation less disease more comfort um kind of okay whatever i yeah i think like yeah in, in that case i totally agree yeah yeah the, the, so i mean like there there might be like less life fulfillment in you know the super developed world or something right but mm-hmm. that's a solvable problem you know i i mean that will be um i don't know i think i'd rather be like a little wist you know uh restless and unsettled in my career than hungry mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So no, I, I I agree. Yeah, I just thought it was important to define our terms if if we are making claims about the trends of history. No, no, good point. Yeah, uh, the, the the simple numbers. That's how I'll define it for the sake of that argument. <laughs> and I will say that like Vale is trying to, I guess, instill morality in Bethel right now with this talk, but like she sounds evil to me in this conversation, which is weird. Like I, I'm kind of all of a sudden super suspicious of her. I I don't know if I'm the, I I haven't been on Discord really for more than two minutes a week for the last few months. I'm not sure why. I need to get in there and hang out. But so I'm not sure if I'm the one making this point. But dude, she always sounds like that. <laughs> she <laughs> is it just me? 
I, I, I don't know. I don't. It might be just me. I don't think it's just you, but it, it like Val isn't discussed all that often, especially not, you know, over the whole several last weeks when she wasn't even in the story. Yeah, no, that makes sense. We'll keep an eye on it. I mean, I, I really do like the. Um, You're like, Enias, your eyes are finally opening. <laughs> yeah, man. She's sus as fuck. Uh, no, it's weird. And the, that's the, the downside. And this is such a, a brilliant writing move. You know, if we knew that she could, whatever, um, tap the, if she was getting her, her insight from somewhere else that wasn't literally hell, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't be worrisome. Right. But no, we have to add this, this scary wrinkle to it. Otherwise it would just be too straightforwardly nice. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. but she has, you know, the best, she seems to be doing a great job for Bethel. It's sinking in. Um, mm. Bethel calls it, you know, what happened with June, the incident and Valencia is like, no, that's distancing language. You know, it let's abstract it and call it this thing that you don't have to think about. You need to notice and hate it. Like, mm. you know, and, or rather you need to notice it and, uh, not kind of like deceive yourself or, or not be engaged with it. Um, yeah. it's, it's great advice. So no, I mean, she, she, she's doing the right stuff. I think she's kicking ass. I, I think that I guess, she's she's actually nice. I just I can't not be suspicious of it, right? I guess if you're going to be trying to um reform someone as evil as Bethel, then you gotta have a little bit of devil in you too. That's a good point. If she came at her, you know, straight Gandhi, uh it would never work, right? Yeah, Bethel would be like lol get fucked. Yeah, she's got she's gotta meet her where she's at, which is uh mm-hmm. I think a thing therapists say and do. So uh uh-huh. maybe, maybe Val's really good at this. Yeah. Yeah, she she also makes the comment that um they they're needing to do this whole reconciliation uh with June because they want to make the world a better place. Like the val the word she says is this is the path we must follow if we are to help end this world and create a new one. And I'm like it, at first it sounded like I thought was she a Calvinist too? Like Amaryllis like there is only the one path and we must follow it. We cannot go any other way or like that's what it sounded like to me but like also maybe she's just speaking instrumentally like if they want to help june they must reform bethel because otherwise they their help will not be accepted so uh if they're going to help they got to do this but again that seems like something an evil person would say just as easily like if you want to help june you have to get in his good graces uh even if that's like so you can manipulate the end state of the universe a little bit in your evil way it just it doesn't seem like necessarily a a good thing. It it could be argued just as easily by both sides. I think it can be argued from both sides. I don't know if it's just as easy, but that might be me nitpicking while I think of a proper response, which is going to be something along the lines of I think that Bethel could make all the right noises and you know do all the right gestures when they when they meet up, but if she's not actually better, they'll know you know yeah. somehow. Yeah. Because if it's a perfect act, I don't know, you know, it, if you still got Valencia there that can tell. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. We've got Valencia, but of course, if Valencia says, well, no, instrumentally, you know, the, the having her back in the group is worth lying to everybody. Um, hmm. and we can't trust Val either, but I think that, uh, it's, you know, so the path we must follow for to help end this world and create a new one is not just like, no, look, it's not just getting our friends. It's that, you have to actually be a better person. Yeah. That that's where that's the path. Um and so, you know, m- maybe it is uh like you can't convincingly fake being a better person without actually being one. Um it's possible. Yeah, but she's not 
she's not telling Bethel, you know, we got to do this so you can be a better person. She's saying, if you want to help end the world and create a new one. Yeah, I know. But I think that because if she, you know, phrased it in this, in like, they both know that they're here to rehabilitate Bethel. But if mm. you keep saying that, like, we're, well, you're not going to be able to join your friends again until you're better. Um, you know, it sounds like you're talking to a, a involuntarily uh, um, confined mental patient, right? Yeah. Not until you're taking your meds every day and you've been good for six months. Um, so, so you got to keep holding out that carrot. Right. I, so I don't think that's, I think that you, they want to avoid kind of framing what they're doing here that way. I, I, I feel like they're, that Val's doing this in, I think, the optimal way. Um, the way that will work with Bethel, right? Yeah. If yeah. she says to make you a better person, Bethel will be like, fuck you, I'm already fine. But it's like, no, we got to make you good enough to be with the friends that you actually want to be with. And right. it's actually working. That's how I know it's the right uh, solution or it's a right solution because it actually seems to be working. Yeah. Yeah. Bethel says that she, one of the things she was thinking when she heard that the group needs her help again, that she should extract something or punish them. And Amaryllis in particular could be made to beg or forced to sacrifice. And her mind immediately went to ways she could extract things and what she could extract from them. And it's nice that she is willing to acknowledge that and say it out loud. It's just like, wow, like this is a deeply fucked up person. And healing from that, like it must take a lot of time because she's she's saying like, yeah, even now, that still is immediately where my brain went. Well, first off, she's saying that stuff about her thoughts about Amaryllis, right? She's talking about them. She's not just thinking that to herself. That's That's already a huge step. So I want to ask you, because you are the one with the uh, psych degree. That's this not a good reason just, to ask me. But <laughs> does it really take that long to psychologically heal from anything? Or is this more like a modern day Western world trope that we all believe it takes that long? And so it takes us that long. But like in the past, there were more road to Damascus type moments where people could change more quickly and fully and not have to like agonize over who they are for years on end before they can get better my having taken a handful of psych classes does not inform my answer on this whatsoever um okay <laughs> but i need to ask first what's road to damascus moments oh um saul was a guy in uh the post-gospel era in the in the new testament who went around uh grabbing christians he really really hated christianity would uh throw them into jails and give them to the romans to torture to death and stuff and then on the road to damascus he was struck blind by god and jesus appeared to him and said like dude cut it out that's really shitty of you and he was like oh fuck i'm an asshole uh, i see the light now lord and he changed his name to paul and he became you know paul the guy who created the christian church and uh was the first pope and all that and they gave him his eyesight back, I'm guessing? Yes, yes. And that happened on the road to Damascus. So it's been known as the road to Damascus moment from then on, whenever someone has a massive uh, viewpoint and personality shift in a very short period of time. I feel like if I was going to teleport and manifest in front of somebody, I wouldn't blind them first. Well, you know, you I know, want them to know it was me. But, you know. He, he did know it was him. Yeah, you're right. He has God powers. That's, yeah. yep. Uh, point withdrawn. So <laughs> uh, to answer your question, I have no idea. I think that it depends on the person, depends on the the traumatic stuff, um, and I don't even really know what it take what it means to get over stuff. Um, yeah. Like you cope, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, there there is a, there is you know like a level of it where it's like okay, yeah, every time that I I saw or thought about this, you know, my heart would get going, my hands would get sweaty or whatever. It doesn't do that anymore. So like that's one metric of getting over stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but could you like be a a Bethel type person who 
is kind of violent and hateful and doesn't care for other people and like just have a single incident that opens your eyes and you change who you are in the matter of i don't know an evening a a week like sure i'm assuming i don't know um i mean i'm assuming that too but it seems like nowadays it's much more like bethel for example is still haunted by the way that she was and these desires that are still still bubbling up and like maybe maybe that's a projection of the modern day and back in the past that wouldn't have been such a thing someone would have been just like nah i'm a different person now i have left my pagan ways behind and now i'm a christian or whatever i don't know anything about history i don't know what it's like to you know grow up back then i think like it's definitely possible to have transformative moments um i think then and now um you know of course i'm not sure if you're like loosely indicating at like the subculture of of young people that like wear their trauma on their shirts and you know try to compete for the most badges um oh no i was not i was not trying to do that i was thinking about people who actually are like trying to change people actually okay real people with real problems then um (laughs) you know uh and i'm not putting i'm not i'm not putting all those down that dismissively but um right we both know the kind of something we're talking about yeah um so yeah i i don't see why yes i 100 i can think of anecdotes that i've heard from people where they they um you know were struggling with uh I'm trying to be, well, I guess as long as I don't say who it is, then I don't have to be vague. I know somebody who um, was a heavy alcoholic for years and years and years. They had a kid and, uh, and I, you know, I'm hearing all this second or third hand, but um, their, their moment of clarity of like, okay, I'm stopping drinking today. This is my, you know, now was like the kid was toddling talking age and, uh, as as the person was going over to get more alcohol, the kid was like, "Mom, I did it," and you know the mom missed it, right? Mm, and so yeah. uh, it's um, that 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 was you know the inciting incident. But yeah. you know it doesn't have to be like that long of a story. You know somebody who whatever gets in a car crash, you know, it'd be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's my eye opening moment." Uh, yeah, why not? Um, yeah. You're asking, does it have? To, can it take forever? I think it can also totally take forever, man. Um, okay. especially if you've been, you know, if it's been a, like Bethel's thing, isn't like a substance problem that like, you know, you can almost literally be slapped out of it. Um, or at least slapped onto the, you know, path of thinking about it. Right. Um, no, Bethel's thing is, you know, she'd been fucked up. I don't know. I mean, somebody who came from a, a house of pure abuse, you know, is released into the world at 18. Uh, I don't think you just shake that off. You know, you, you've got a ton of deeply ingrained habits that you need to, to, notice acknowledge that they're bad and then train away you know yeah well i don't know i mean that that was that was basically my question like could people in the past more easily turn on a dime and don't need all this training away and is our narrative that everything is such a long struggle that needs to be trained away possibly harmful but I, like, I i literally don't know i think maybe i'm just making shit up because you know there's these stories about road to damascus which never actually happened they just are stories right yeah, but I mean, I think there's the, kind of the mentality too that you know people were tougher back then and it was easier, but like for them to become different people or something. But I actually have no idea. But this was a good discussion and good good discussion fodder for anyone who has uh, you know thoughts on the subject. So I'm glad you brought it up. Oh yeah, well thank you. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, speaking of Bethel, she's a really fucking good house because she all the people in the blocks around her like just have better lives. 
in her area of influence, there's no vermin. Diseases sometimes just kind of went away. Uh, blankets would be co- pulled closer in the middle of the night, which was so adorable. And food lasted longer and kept better. You know, she's a good house for everyone in town. But what's yeah. fun about this is like, I always sort of, I think this is how I knew it was going to happen. Like her coming back to the group. I never could really imagine a scenario where Val just like sends a you know letter to the group and saying, she's fixed now. Um, <laughs> like it was never going to just be all high fives and smiles. It was always going to be kind of a messy emergency. Yeah. And whether it was pulling June out of uh, the torture camp he was in or uh, fighting the dragons or this, right? Yeah. And so it's like, okay, no, we're, it's good enough and we'll have to do the rest along the way, but it feels perfectly organic. And it, she's at least halfway to being great. You know, again, she's, she's tucking people in at night, you know? Yeah. Like it's adorable pulling blankets close in the middle of the night. That is just like, I don't know. I mean, that's awesome. If, when, when she wants to be a good house, she can be a really good house. Hell yeah. I wish she had more chances to be a house and less chance, you know, having to be a, a, a person and, and being abused as a person, you know? Yeah, no, that actually, that's great lead into uh, what happens. So she notices the Amaryllis clone uh, at the edge of like her ability to perceive stuff um, mm. and is weirded out by it. And I totally get that. Um, mm. And then Amaryllis, you know, comes up and I think she might explain what's going on. But, you know, you tell me if this is a good house or bad house or neutral house, but she's like, oh, she's six months older. I can tell by the number of eggs left in her, uh, um, her ovaries. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's okay. That's that's a weird way to count, but it's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just something you see if you're Bethel, right? Yeah. It just, it seems a little invasive, but maybe she literally can't notice, you know, yeah. Superman I mean, could turn like off his x-ray vision. So if he was looking under people's clothes, he's doing it on purpose, you know, but if he couldn't turn it off, then he's not being a peeping Tom. He's just looking. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, like we, we can't help, but notice people's skin color, their approximate age, their sex, like, you just see it. So I think the Bethel, it's the same kind of thing with the eggs. <laughs> it was just a funny way to put it. You know, like the example from way back in the day, she's like, oh, I can tell you a Raven cervix tastes. And it's like, good God. Ugh. Yeah. You had to think of something that graphic about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not like I can tell you the temperature of like her cerebral cortex, you know, something yeah. neutral and less disgusting. Um, yep. But anyway, uh, so Amarilla shows up and, there's it says the, the cloud was still hanging over them bethel took a moment to think about why that was and she says i'm sorry and amaryllis says yes and then raises an eyebrow and mm. am i reading that wrong or is that just an awesomely aggressive thing to say to an apology <laughs> i mean i don't i don't know how aggressive it is if all the person has said is i'm sorry and you haven't seen them in like six months like i would also have wanted to know more like please elaborate but i i think like the yes was a nice touch yeah i mean i guess go on would have been more more aggressive Uh but the yes is like you know yes you should be sorry and yes please go on um Mm -hmm. but uh it works she just says i'm sorry for what i did i'm sorry for what i did to juniper sorry for the threats and indignities um i was dealing with you know feelings that weren't good for me or the people around me and um it was just I, I don't know. Um, I thought it was solid. And Amarillo says apology accepted. Um, mm-hmm. What, I don't know. So I, I think it was a good apology. And I believe Amarillo's acceptance of it. I was curious what you thought. Uh, yeah, I also thought it was a good apology. I believe, well, when you say believe her, uh, believe the Amarillo's acceptance. Like, I believe that Amarillo's accepted the apology 
in that, but isn't happy. <laughs> that that's a good point. That's a really good mm. clarification. Um, yes, Amaryllis accepted the apology. She didn't say "fuck you." I refuse your apology. Um, yeah, but, but I guess she, lots she, of times things aren't things aren't. She doesn't bury the hatchet. Yeah, you know? but I think maybe that's true of a lot of apologies. Like sometimes you, oftentimes when someone's apologizing, you're still mad at them for the thing, and accepting the apology is a signal of I understand you're upset and that you're trying to do better, and I except that you're going to be working on that. But, you know, you, you can still be angry at them. And and I get the feeling that's what's... Not get the feeling. I know that's what's happening here because we hear about it from Amaryllis personally in the text. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point. Um, she and, you know, Amaryllis is in tune enough with her, you know, her thoughts and feelings that she's fully aware of this. She's like, no, yeah, I'm pissed, but I'm not so pissed that I'm willing to throw out the, like, the value of I, having you back, right? I think the reason I was stumbling is because in my mind, there's a strong correlation between forgive someone and accept the apology. And they are not the same thing. And I was thinking of them as the same thing, even though they shouldn't be. So yes, I think she accepted her apology. No, I don't think she has forgiven her, but also those aren't the same thing. And that's not what you were asking me. So I was trying to answer a question you didn't ask, which was dumb of me. No, no. I, I, I think that you were answering a question that it sounds like I was asking and that I kind of was implicitly because that is a very easy association to make. Um, mm. And I don't think that I had separated them in my head properly yet either. So um, like in the, in me, in the moment of asking the question, like I know they're different, but yeah, yeah. when someone says, you know, apology accepted, that is often uh, uh, it's a step synonymous. To forgiveness. Yeah. But, it, but it's often synonymous with, you know, I forgive you. Yeah. And so no, yeah. She forgiveness. Hell no. Acceptance. Sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what what that means to accept an apology, as long as I'm going to keep hitting this point, is that I think Amaryllis believes Bethel's, uh, uh, you know, sincerity. Yes, I think so too. So I think that that's awesome. She doesn't think it's an mm-hmm. act. Mm-hmm. Of course, Val told her, you know, this is working. She'll probably apologize when you get there. So um, yeah, it, that's different. Um, but she also had to decide whether to believe Val, and so it's a combination. Yeah. No. Totally. Um, it's, there was another moment here with Bethel. She says that, uh, you know, if they're, oh, you know, I'd be willing to subject myself to soul magic to, you know, confirm, like mm-hmm. to let you confirm that I'm, I'm serious. And, you know, well, you know, that wouldn't work a, you don't have a soul and B, uh, we can't actually do that anymore. Um, I don't know if the, yeah. you know, the two people here, uh, Val and Bethel wouldn't have noticed the soul <laughs> magic thing. So, um, maybe, maybe they didn't notice, but, uh, I'm sure someone told them maybe. You know, I, I don't think in a good, you know, good company, small town that soul magic comes up that much. It's, it's not that small of a town, though. It's like a small city. But I guess like unless they had like a local soul mage, but it might have might hit the papers. You're right. Um, yeah. But she does say, well, if there's some combination of entads or whatever to coerce the truth out of me, then, mm-hmm. you know, you can do that. And Amarillo says, it's not something I plan to pursue. Um, Bethel says, I would do it, though, if it would help make things right between us. If it would help make Juniper, it would help. If it would help Juniper to understand, um, first she says between us, you know, her and Amaryllis. But she does, you know, then she doesn't clarify, but she goes on to include June. But mm. you know, she says between us, she wants to be, you know, she's willing to be violated intensely to to demonstrate this. Right? I think that's just an, yeah. an awesome gesture of goodwill. Yeah. I I my my whole takeaway on Bethel because you know. She talks about how she'd love to, you know, extract some pain from Amaryllis and stuff. I, you know, she's not 100% yet, but who the hell is? 
you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think I'm, I would like to think, tell me if I'm being too hubris. I'd like to think I'm closer to hundred percent than Bethel is, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely only because I'm not, you know, con- constantly, uh, suppressing, you know, violent, um, urges towards everybody, but you uh, didn't have to start as close to zero as she did. Exactly. Yeah. I had way uh, shallower of a hole to climb out of. So, uh, yeah. no, I think, I think she's doing great. This, yeah, is, this, she's is, definitely this is the Bethel I wanted her to be this whole fucking time, you know? Yeah. Yay. All right. My real last thing on the Bethel business. I think she was thinking this after, after all the Amarillo stuff. I don't know. Again, my notes were out of order, but this doesn't actually matter when it came in. She says the violence was a form of ego preservation, the fantasy of violence against Uther, if it were even possible, uh, a way of assuaging her mind. It was remarkably human. Unfortunately, it wasn't the person that Amaryllis wanted wanted her to be. Bethel would also grudgingly admit, after some reflection, that it wasn't the sort of person that she wanted to be. Yay! Val's brainwashing was <laughs> successful. <laughs> it was just literally washing her brain of, well, figuratively washing her brain of all the nonsense that was in it. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I got a little torn on this because I think, I think vengeance is, I don't know. I, I have sort of a, a um, love, love relationship with vengeance where <laughs> I was going to say love, hate, but there's no hate there. Like, I, I think that it's good to have a fantasy of violence against someone who did that to you and to want to make them pay. So I'm totally on Bethel's side in the case of Uther uh, for what he did to her, but on the other hand, like she's been in this hole for 500 years and it just keeps poisoning her mind and her life and everything. So despite the fact that I kind of love the vengeance thing, it's been destroying her life and her personality and it, it would be better to let it go. So yeah, I guess that's not the sort of person you want to be all poisoned and, and wretched. And so that's, that's, you're correct. I, I'm not as yay on board with it as as you are, but I I see how this is a terrible way to live your life and to want to change it is good. I mean, the main thing is she's not happy. You know, she, she's not a happy person. You know, it. I think vent- happiness is a little overrated. Well, I think I don't know. Misery is not underrated. Um, like <laughs> you know, so I can I can imagine um, you know somebody seeking revenge on the person who whatever killed their family. You know, if, mm-hmm. if I was a, a Holocaust survivor and some of my family wasn't, I can, I can imagine a, a future where I would have spent my, the rest of my life, you know, hunting down and killing people who escaped justice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but wouldn't I rather be happy? Um, and especially yeah. if I was holding on to anger and all these people had been dead for 50 years, like I think I'd rather find some way to become the kind of person that wasn't full of rage and hate anymore, especially if I couldn't actually exercise my, you know, if I couldn't deliver justice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Then anyway, uh, yeah. there, there's, okay. there's one more giant problem with, uh, bringing Bethel back into the fold there. Is, well, okay. I don't know if this is, yeah, this is a giant problem actually, um, that she doesn't want to be used as a tool or a weapon. Uh, this, I hadn't ever thought of this before until I came across it here, but, uh, Upon reading this, I'm just going to quote Amarillis. The problem, aside from the obvious interpersonal issues, is that the ways in which we need you are not the ways in which you wish to be needed. Bluntly, we don't need a house. We need a meta entad to use as a tool and a weapon. And it was when she said that, like, it occurred to me that Bethel is June's most stereotypical male aspect, uh, even, even more so than Grack. Like, not just because she's selfish and violent and powerful, which are all stereotypically male traits, but... 
she wants to be desired as a person, and instead she's needed as a provider of violence and a fulfiller of utilitarian goals. And and that's that's not a uniquely male experience, but it is much more common in the males of the species. It is like a quintessentially male thing to be like, no one wants you here as a person. They need you here for what you can bring as a male. And, you know, you you just learn to live with it because this is the reality we live in. And yeah, people need resources to live and they need protection from violence. But it also, you know, kind of sucks to be needed as a tool and a weapon. And I love that that Bethel is here representing that and that she's a female in this book. I think it was fucking brilliant of Alexander Wales to do that. And, uh, and I just wanted to, you know, give him high fives and fireworks. And this was cool. I, I like that your mind's grabbed that. I mean, I, I think that she's female because, you know, there, there was, they wanted to be the possibility of a romantic entanglement and June's basically straight. Um, yes. So, I mean, I think that's the reason that, you know, as far as making her female, but the the rest of it is interesting. Cause like, I, maybe it's the fact that like, I'm, I mean, I'm five, eight and I don't know, average sized, but I was, I was a small kid. Um, mm. And so like the, the physical security issues that, you know, women um, describe are things that I grew up with. Right. Like uh, not, not the, there was a specific form of violence that I wasn't as concerned about. Um, right. But I, I have noticed that, you know, in talking to uh, some women that, you know, it comes up with once in a while that like I am in the average moment to moment more prepared for violence than they are um, in the form of like self-defense. Um, and you would be expected to be the the provider of violence if it came to a situation where like you and a woman were there. Well, that, that's probably true. But I think I'm thinking in the sense of like of, you know, in case I'm in case I'm in danger, what are my outs? Um, yeah. But I noticed that people who. Uh, or I've talked to people who don't have those patterns of thought ingrained, even though they say that they're afraid of people. Um, mm. And it's like, well, then this is what we do, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's, uh, and I bring that up because you're, you're on a scale of like, I don't know, a child to Captain America. You're much closer to the Captain America end of the scale. Um, okay. So you have like, I think to put it as John Mulaney did, I'm still waiting to like get big and strong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm, I'm an inch taller than my, a couple inches taller than my dad. Like this, I've, I've peaked. Uh, right. So uh, I'm not, I'm not getting the, um, the, I guess what it is like. So the other thing is like. As flattered as I am by when you say this, I keep feeling like someday people who listen to things, podcasts that you have commented on are going to see me and they're going to be like, that's it. I, I was expecting fucking Steve Rogers here. <laughs> okay. You're only six feet tall. Or is it six one? Two. Six two. Okay. Well, there we go. Um, so I don't know. For whatever it's worth, when we first met, you were like not a full foot taller than I thought you were gonna be, but you were much taller than I thought you were gonna be. Um yeah. but anyway, the uh um you said it's the world that we live in and we just have to suck it up. First of all, that's quitter talk no matter what the context. And second, that's mm-hmm. not the world we live in, you know? Uh you know, guns exist as a solution to violence and we don't need to be providers. Women have been able to work for a long time, Yadiash. Um I mean, <laughs> I, I know that is true, but also that is not what is expected. I mean, I I see I see your point. Uh half the US population got letters. Actually, I don't know if you got one. Did you get a letter on your 18th birthday saying, Congratulations, you're ready to be drafted? Uh I plead the fifth. Oh, 
I'm proud to just say out loud, I, I got mine and I knew what it was. So I threw it away without opening it, but that doesn't like oh, invalidate okay. it. Um, right, right, I right. asked because you weren't born in the United States. Uh, so I wasn't sure if so, they were going to, if they were going to draft you or not. Like, I honestly don't remember if I got that letter or not. I do remember, um, the table set up in our school saying all males here have to register for the selective service. It is the law. And I said, wow, that's an interesting table over there. Mm, nice. Good for you. Uh, well, it seems like pretty weak, uh, I can see why they just did it automatically by the time it got around to my 18th birthday, because <laughs> I, I can't imagine every other male in your school walked over there to sign up. Um, well, I imagine that if I had been born in the U.S., I also would have been automatically signed up. Oh, well, then I wonder why they have a table. You know, maybe there was a large immigrant population at your school, but I figured they'd have somebody come through with a check uh, clipboard at some point. But anyway, getting too yeah, far into the weeds on it. Uh, yeah. I remember during uh, Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, uh, she had said that the women or the wives like of soldiers are the real victims of war or something and mm-hmm. or the wives and children and i'm like uh <laughs> yeah, i know, remember that <laughs> i that's that and the pokemon go to the polls uh are the two things i remember from her presidential campaign um and I, but the thing is that, that jumped out at me because it's like that is to 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 your point the that's the reality you're talking about, right? Mm. And it's like, no, no, your job is to go die. It's, you know, the real sad part is the people that are sad about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think we're, I think we're basically out of that as a society, but it's entirely possible. I'm just not aware of that. Cause I don't really go into society. Um, there, there are days when I go like to drive out to game night or something. And I'm like, fuck, I haven't left the house like almost all week. Like <laughs> I, I, it's entirely possible. I completely missed the pulse of just like how the world is doing. So <laughs> I recently saw a very interesting uh, poll, which I want to ask uh, your opinion on right now. Uh, the poll was, it was a two-part question. Uh, should men have a right to vote on whether women can have an abortion? And should women have the ability to vote on whether a nation goes to war? Whoa. Or whether men go to war? Um, the war thing, you know, because it does include more than just the soldiers, you know, because... Uh as a progressive society, we allow women to enlist. Um, but but it's the men that are drafted. And we have female senators and congresspersons. It'd be interesting. Yeah. it You know, change, change a couple of the variables um, and things suddenly get super sinister, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's all white senators and all, all white people voting to decide if, if, if the non-white population of the United States is going to go fight this war. Uh, that, gets, right. that gets gross real fast. The fact that I'm hemming and hawing on the the first the second question there might be because I'm just so used to the status quo, but I don't want to. I it, it kind of makes the point of of what was just being said a bit earlier about expectations. Yeah, but you know the, the first question is different. Uh, I I'm actually really torn uh, because I the way that I view abortion rights. Uh, well, the fact that I say abortion rights give, it tells you everything you need to know, um, mm. but the way that I view it is that, you know, it's a woman's choice Let her do whatever she wants. But if I were a person who didn't believe that, you know, rather if I were a person that believed that fertilized eggs were in sold humans, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, then, then it's different than passing off my vote saying, well, I can't have an abortion. So it's not my problem. I mean, that's like, uh, Oh, I don't know. I don't own a gun. I can't shoot anyone. So it's not my problem. If murder is a crime. Yeah. Something like that. Right. Like I, li- I live in a good neighborhood, so I don't, I don't care if uh, you know gun violence is a big problem or something. It's like <laughs> you, lit- oh man, I-, I love that you just literally recreated the the defund the police argument uh, 
from the other side. Oh, I didn't even. And well, the thing the, is, the, I don't, the I don't common argument is that the, a lot of the people who uh, chant for defund the police live in nice neighborhoods where they hire their own private security. Uh, and the people who are actually affected by the police being defunded are not nearly as in favor of defunding them. Oh, well, I mean, to be clear, I don't, can't afford I don't live in a particularly security. nice neighborhood and I don't have private security. But, I was just saying it was analogous. Well, what's funny is I don't know if that's the majority of the people making that point because almost no one can afford private security. But like I had a friend growing up, his parents didn't lock their door. And, yeah. Like they lived in a nice part of town, but like the nice part of town is a five minute drive from anywhere else, right? Like, it's interesting. It's like like a, I can it's tell. It's a completely different mindset. They had no concern of violence. Yeah, I, I can tell that I was raised in a very different um, culture than than my significant other because I will regularly leave my trunk open as I'm taking groceries uh, or other things I bought from my car to the house. And she's like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, no one's going to come over and just grab groceries out of my trunk. She's like, all right, you're a crazy trusting motherfucker. And like lots of times when we're working at the new place, I just leave the garage door open because, you know, getting some airflow and we got some fairly expensive power tools in there. And she like she doesn't do it anymore because it's been a number of months and none of them have gotten stolen out of the garage. But at first she was like, I can't believe you're just leaving the garage door open when we're like inside in the kitchen, not seeing these tools. These things are valuable. And I'm like, yeah, man, we live in a nice neighborhood. No one's going to come around, just take stuff. They got they got a lot to lose about doing that. So. Do you worry about taking groceries in from from your car, leaving it open? I mean, your current place, the you, you basically got line of sight from your parking spot to your door. I basically have line of sight, but no, I've never closed my trunk on the walk, even when I lived in shitty apartments. Um, if but some, I'm, if I'm someone's like going to walk by fact- and gamble that whatever's in this Safeway bag is like something that they want, uh, they're welcome to it. They clearly need it more than I do. I'll go buy more, right? Enjoy your frozen pizza. Like... Um, <laughs> All right. I think we had a lot of fun, but we have a whole chapter left. We do. Uh, I had less notes on this one, though. I just realized that docent is spelled with an E before the yeah. C. So do- nah, docent. <laughs> yeah. Yay, puns. It's, it's, it's okay. I think that I think half I the think I don't mind- chapters are puns. Uh, probably more than half. I think I don't mind this one as much because I didn't know what the word docent meant. So it you know didn't immediately violate my eyeballs. I was oh. like, this is a new word. How interesting. I wasn't. So I, I looked it up last week when we were talking about it. I wasn't thinking of it in the context of university professors in like Britain or whatever. It's the museum guide. Okay. Because I've heard the term docent in that context. Oh, you have? Yeah. Oh, neat. I okay. knew I had heard it. Um, it's in a movie or a book or something that I read in some, or some, I don't know. I came across it. But now I get the context of it for the chapter, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Because like the, the, you know, University professor in Britain didn't make any sense, but uh, a guide, especially you know that 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 fits this well. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, all right, chapter one or chapter two twenty. Docent. So uh, June is speaking with Liam, a different tongue this time, and uh, he asks him, "What do you do with the below average tongues?" And Liam says, "We follow the low Wobegon model," and you know smiles at his little joke. And June is like, "I, I I'm not familiar." And like, we've been getting a lot of these lately. Uh, They've certainly been ramping up, in my opinion, the failed references to Earth stuff. And I kind of am wondering if like, maybe the failed references are because Alexander Wales, like halfway through writing this, realized that at 17, June could not have had like nearly as many experiences as 
Alexander Wales has had. And so it would be unrealistic to include all of them and June gets them all. But like, he still wants to make the reference. So he he does it anyway. And then June doesn't get it. And that's the joke. I think that's a good half of the explanation. Um, I have two other halves. This is three halves. Um, The other half could be all the Earth references came from June early on because he was the only source of Earth stuff. Oh, yeah. And now that there's Earth stuff permeating his subculture of Arab, he's not the, he's not the sole source of this. And uh, he's not the one handing out all the books. And so they've all read stuff he hasn't. And he's like, oh, shit, you guys know my stuff better than I do. Yeah. Which, and they all assume since he's from Earth that he knows everything. That, just like yeah. everybody from Africa knows everybody else from Africa or something. Right. Oh, you're from Detroit? Do you know John? Like, <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, of course. We, you know, uh, fun fact. Uh the young Anakin Skywalker from Phantom Menace and, uh, well, he, and, uh, well, he grew up in Fort Collins, I think where I grew up and, uh, what's his name? Jason Momoa, I think went to CSU. Oh, but if you're really? asking from out of country, Hey, do you know them? Cause you shared a, you shared proximity. The answer is no. Um, no, no. alas, uh, anyway, so, um, you had said that you wonder if, uh, uh, yeah, if it's because at 17, June would have had these experiences. I, I think that, some of them are because he's accurately modeled his audience and you're just above average because you get them all. Uh, like, <laughs> I don't get all of them. I, I had, I have heard of the Lake Wobegon effect, but mm. that's all I know is that I could probably Wikipedia that and find a page. Um, yeah. I don't know what it is. Uh, all the children are above average. It was a thing that Garrison Keillor would say at either the beginning or the end of every episode where uh, how, how all the men are good looking, all the women are something or another and all the children are above average. Who would say that at the end of episodes? Garrison Keillor, because he was the guy who did the Lake Wobegon stuff. Okay. Well, it see. was an NPR show. Well, and he, he must have known he was being tongue-in-cheek, right? Yes, yes. It was a joke. Okay. Well, because I got into an argument once with a teacher about how she wanted us all to be above average. And I uh, pointed out, I was like, that's like asking us all to be the tallest person in the room. And uh, we didn't get along. Um, anyway, but like same with the Majahadid, the Majahadid from last week. Uh, which I spelled correctly on my first try, I think. Um, I think but, that's a different word because I think it was Mujahideen. Ah, damn it. Well, then we'll leave in my embarrassment. But anyway, um, <laughs> okay. the like I, I might have heard the term, but I didn't know it. So I was just in June shoes too, even though I'm you know, twice his age. So uh, right. uh, I think that... <laughs> I think you're right. Like I, Alexander wants to include these things, but he's like, all right, June wouldn't get them. So I'll have to explain them, which is fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you say I'm above average. I don't know if I am like you knew James, a caster and I didn't like, I just, that, that was a deep you have a cut lot of time watch, watching comedy. Right. No, but see, like you, you've had X number of years to watch comedy and you've run across things like it, once you've had enough years as an adult to absorb enough things, like you just, you have <laughs> acquired more things. It's one of the few good things about getting older. Challenge accepted. Uh, <laughs> right. It, it's one of those uh, nice, nice consolidation gifts for your body slowly starting to crap out on you. It's like, hey, but at least you got this big wealth of knowledge that the, the youngins are just like, what, what you talking about, grandpa? Youth is wasted like, on the young. Yeah. It was a style at the times. I want to quote that whole thing from The Simpsons, but I'll save it. Um, that was great. All right. Liam, this is where I drew my big contention. Uh, mm. And it sucks because I mostly agree with him. But go ahead and get, okay. us, get us kicked off here. Liam says uh, when June asks them about the menial labor that they have and the menial laborers, uh, Liam says, no work is menial. 
Work is either necessary or unnecessary, and everyone does as much as they can. If you are within a command structure, you follow orders, and if you are in mutual cooperation, you attempt to maximize your impact. No one has control. That is not the frame. Your decision on what to do is predicated on your understanding of the situation. There is no element of choice, only an understanding of conditions. And my comment on this was that I am absolutely in love with Liam and all of Tongue Society, and this is just the best way to look at life and philosophy to have, and I would vote Amaryllis Dictator for life. But Man. you disagree strongly. Yeah, well, it, part of me loves it. I, I agree that more or less no work is menial. You know, it's possible to find menial work, but like there was a good episode of Scrubs where uh, the janitor is feeling inadequate because he's the janitor. In fact, that's his name. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember. And uh, the point is, though, he, he is necessary for the hospital to function, right? Yeah. I think even June makes the point. I'm not sure if he's talking hospitals or not, but it's not a glamorous position, but it is absolutely essential. And mm-hmm. uh, so to that extent, I agree with Liam. But the thing is, my first comment was like, oh, he's a wonderfully indoctrinated little servant of the state. Um, <laughs> so what do you do with the menial work? Oh, no work is menial. Everything is important to the state. And no, there's no choice, but there's, you know, understanding of conditions. And uh, like that, that sounds like the most cash, cash response ever, right? Um, that's fair. But the, the other thing is that he, he knew what June was asking. And he gives this weird dodgy answer. And well, when June, June pins June, him down, he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. We have shit jobs. People do them. Like he, he, it was the fact that he, I think cause the, the tongue are smart. I feel like he knows that he was being dodgy. I don't, I mean, they live in a different culture, which has been rationalist from the day they were born. Like maybe, maybe they really don't have like some, labor that they venerate above others like the people who do this labor are great good people and the people who do other labor are shit people like maybe they really do realize that like there's play which is great and then there's sometimes shit that you got to do and that's necessary and that's work and the people who can best do the janitor work do the janitor work and the people who can best do other work do that other work instead uh and that doesn't make them better because they can do that work it just means that they're necessary in that position I think that you're actually right. That's how the tongue work. Um, mm. I think that'd be terrible for Earth because that's not how humans work. Yeah, um, you know, it maybe it could be, but uh, at least not. You know, in 21st century West Western culture, um, mm. like I'm not sure we are. We I'm are more sure. individualistic. Yeah, I'm not sure if even biologically it's possible for humans to do that. I would like to think it is, but I'm reminded of that uh, great. Gosh, was it? Uh, I think it was Ribbon Farm post uh, about that um, respect is how we pay people who do things that we want them to do. Uh, A lot of like pre uh, most human biology is created pre-currency when people got paid for doing stuff. So uh, people like respect. They want respect. They want to be venerated. And we do that when people do things that we like. And that is how early transactions worked by by, you know. Humans had these emotions hacked into their system to make them work. And uh, maybe we literally couldn't get that out of our society because of how we're wired. It's weird because that explanation doesn't make it clear to me why we venerate doctors more than we do janitors. Because like doctors get the prestige and bigger paychecks. I would think mm-hmm. that if that were the, if, if the way that this, the way that I understood what you just said, if that were true, we'd be like, oh man, you know, janitors are willing to, you know, clean up 
puke for you know less money that's fucking epic we really appreciate it well because the the prestige would go to the people that do harder work uh that less people can do in the ancestral environment anybody could clean up puke i see what you're saying yeah okay so it's not about the oh it's not the work that we uh don't want to do it's the work that we can't do those are the people that we venerate okay gotcha gotcha um yeah i don't know i think that it was uh like so, so June pushes back and he says, you don't think that those in the lower half tasked with less important work feel a bit put out, like they have no direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, he just says, we don't have time for this. Um, we have time for a few conversations on the subject, but the generation uh, need, you know, needs to get aging up as quickly as possible in order for us to solve the issues with the, with the exclusion zone. Yeah. And like, dude, we absolutely have time for this. Cause fuck you. I'm the next God. And second of <laughs> all, uh, we have time to make sure we're doing this right before we make a hundred thousand disgruntled people that we'll have to decapitate. Like, yeah. or that will decapitate us. Well, they can try. Well, they're, they could decapitate Liam. Yeah. They probably wouldn't come after June. Well, they, they, they probably wouldn't. And if they did, it wouldn't work. But the thing is they're going to come out of Bethel who will just, you know, sever all their carotid arteries, you know, um, eh, not a, maybe they convinced her that's possible. But I'm just thinking like the other thing is that the time chamber is going to be less fun this time around. And no oh, breaks, yeah. so they're not gonna ha- they're not gonna know how things are going in there, um, right? Yeah, but the but the bottle gone. That was like part of what they're able to use. They found some solution, but apparently it's less flexible. I forget the exact specifics, but I'm mm-hmm. getting the impression these people are gonna spend fifteen twenty years in a prison like environment, and with without regular check ins, they're gonna get a whole generation in there to go as hopefully right as possible. But I feel like it could go easily wrong. Maybe they, you know, as soon as they're big enough, they, they cut Liam's head off because he's going to be in there being a teacher. And they're going to have 100,000 frog people that they're going to have to murder because they're going to try and revolt. See, I don't I don't think it's going to be a prison. Like, I, I really think Liam wants to have the best second generation he can and uh, that he believes in this. He believes in their society. And he, th- I mean, these are... It, it, not directly his children if he lives, because if they were his children, he'd be dead. But like, th- this is their children. They do care about them. Uh, but yeah, they could be wrong. They 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 could be very blinded by their own idealism and fuck things up pretty badly. So I, I agree with you that it could go really bad, but I don't think it would be intentionally like a prison. It, it, I think they're going to do the best they can. And if they fuck it up, it'll be because they were wrong and not because they were bad. No. Yeah, totally. By prison, I guess I meant uh, not the, the punishment trapped thing, but the environment will be less uh, vibrant, dynamic, et cetera. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. so okay. it's going to be a lot more like, you know, a brick and maybe more like trapped in school. Uh, schools had windows. I guess this won't, but maybe it'll have fake ones. But, um, well, like, hold on a sec. Let me, I'm, it appears to be a room that is 120 miles long and I'm assuming also 120 miles wide because it's described as a large space that seems to extend to infinity rather than a hallway. I think the Denver metro area is like 80 miles from one end to another. So it'd be larger than the Denver metro area by a good margin. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it, you could fit millions comfortably. I think that. I guess there's there's something about um, the bottle had like more flexibility though. Yes, and yeah, so, this would be that sounds like just one large space that they have to like break up with makeshift walls and stuff. Right. I, I guess what I'm getting at is it just felt like it was going to be less uh, cozy, and right. you know the time chamber already didn't feel that cozy. Um, right, right. More so, like an institution than a than a town. There we go. Perfect. Um, so you combine that with the fact that they're not doing check ins, 
and things could go south and you would have no idea until the doors open, you know? Uh, yeah, but you can open them from the inside. If things really go bad, they can get out of there. Really? I, yeah. Because remember when uh, something went wrong with Amaryllis' pregnancy, they opened the doors early? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. I Maybe I'm just pessimistic because I don't feel like this is going to go well just because they're trying to solve this problem that I think the DM just wants to ruin June's life with, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And like the thing is that this won't even work. It, all right, guys, if you all handle 5,000 kids each, wait, am I off by an order of magnitude? 500 kids each? 50 kids each would be 5 million. So like 60 kids each. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought I might've added it or dropped a zero in there. Um, okay. That sounds more tenable. I'm worried that this won't work. That's my, my 10 minute way of getting to that. We had a short yeah. episode last week. Congratulations. You're getting a long episode and this is why they stay short because we ramble. Um, I'm worried things are going to go south. We'll see how it shakes out. Fingers crossed. Mm. <laughs> they, I mean, they might. And Liam does seem to be at least partially blinded by the fact that he is at the very top of the pyramid and has probably the best life out of anybody. So, but if he's honest and, you know, by saying that, like, look, your individualism is just not how we work. Um, you know, it could be that it's not how he works because he's at the top, but if it's not actually how the tongue work, then, you know, maybe my concerns are misplaced that sure, you know, they're building a slave class of people that June, you know, wasn't in love with, but uh, not a slave class. They, exactly. Cause they're, they like their jobs. So, you know, <laughs> like the house elves, it's, uh, it's not quite as, as, as gross, you know, are, they are like the jobs because, because they were indoctrinated, but uh, they like them. Are they like we them slaves because we live in Denver and we have jobs here. Um, yes. For the sake of quick argument. <laughs> okay so june goes down talks to the doe and uh, is commiserating about things with the doe and one of the things he says is sometimes it feels like we hit our peak early on back when we weren't in charge of any institutions and no one cared about their our existence to which i was reminded that yeah yeah we're we're murder hobos not murder monarchs (laughs) i love that i think that was succinctly put uh and you know they're not even doing that much murdering lately it's all been self-defense lame yeah i mean paladin murdered all those people but that was a while ago and that wasn't even you know the core group right um you know it, but it's interesting i i get what he's saying because like the story was smaller and more fun right yes and yes, it was. not saying that like, it's not fun now but like now it's heavy yeah and uh it's i i get where he's coming from now instead of a romp there's like all these responsibilities and it's it's the, he's he's grown up i guess yeah I mean, even when their job was like, you know, oh no, Amaryllis's arm is falling off with a rat rod. This is terrifying. Like, mm. at least that was a small, comprehensible problem with a solution, you know? Yeah, right. And remember when that was a big deal? Like that, that's, yeah. we get, we get to look back on that and be like, oh, those were the days, right? Right. That's, that's how stressful <laughs> things have gotten for them. <laughs> oh, the, the fact that like, they were problems with solutions is a big deal too. Like it's something you can work towards, something you can fix. Whereas this, you're just like, well, this is a clusterfuck and millions of people are fucked because of it. That's not a great feeling. Yeah. The only solution to like all of their problems now is become God. And yeah, you know, even just if, like real life. Right. But even though that's kind of on the table for them, it's still like not a great plan. Yeah. Or at least it's not one that feels satisfying. I get Grax, you know, alienation talk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's all right. Well, it's, I'm in charge. I'll just fix stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, but what if you're not, or what if you can't, you know? It's yeah. all these kids. 
you know, if it, that's the thing is that they really believed that, you know, oh no, we'll just hurry to, to the fell seed exclusion zone and you'll become God, you know, shortly thereafter. They could just lead these kids. You know, they're putting up a, a months and years long project. Now they're not going to be here for months. It's going to be time accelerated and stuff, but mm-hmm. they're, they're setting up stuff that will take months or years to finish. And it's like, do you guys really think it'll take that long? And even if it did, and June doesn't become God for 50 years, he can retroactively solve this problem. Like they, they're, it's hard to plan for the possibility that like one of us will become the architect of the universe past and present, you know? Right. Yeah. And so they're, they're not really doing that. They're planning on that not working, which is fine and prudent, but yeah. it just, it kind of explains that like, you know, the intractability of, of some of their problems and the not satisfyingness of the solution of become God. Right. Yeah. You know, you make a really good point because if June becomes God, he can't just be like, whatever i'm gonna become god i'll fix it in post and like these kids starve to death over the next three or four days but then he becomes god and he undoes it so they never starved to death yeah hmm. interesting i i guess that kind of goes back to his um what was the thing that amaryllis shouldn't have uh tortured those people in the other timeline because even though it only went on for like another 60 years that would have been 60 years of torture and even though that was all undone it still happened or something? Oh, yeah. I I don't know. Like, did it, would it still have happened if June undoes them starving to death that they didn't actually starve to death then? This does seem different than running up like an instance of another universe and then deleting it, right? Because this is like, no, we're actually just went through and changed it. You know, if you go back and edit a book, like the previous version didn't happen, you know? But I mean, the weird... No, I, I disagree because... Not only are they not running up another instance of the universe, they're just running this instance of this universe. They can literally see the kid starving to death and then, like, just undo it later. It's it's the exact same thing, except even more so, maybe, because they can see the effect. No, I was talking about the alternate timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saying that that's different because it's starting up a new universe? Yeah, it felt different. But you're right. This, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I guess mm, it's not clear what the upper limits are on his power if he becomes God, right? Okay. You're worried he might not be able to rewind time. Well, I mean, maybe not rewind time. Maybe not. Yeah. You know, but it's like, unless it's true omnipotence, like, you know, well, sure. But the suffering actually happened. Well, no, actually it didn't by any possible definition because I'm God. And I thus have made the universe. So, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. uh, If he, if he's that level of powerful, then sure. Go nuts. You can do whatever you want. Um, but I think they're they're planning on the possibility that the godhood thing might not shake out. That does seem to be the case, yeah, because they are putting all these plans into effect to keep the kids alive. Yeah, but well, I mean, Amaryllis has a comment about that actually. <laughs> she does. Uh, so they were talking about narrative and how this this is a postmodern work. Uh, June. The whole point might be that June is going to die at the end, and it is a disappointment or a tragedy or whatever. And then Amaryllis throws in the caveat, we're obviously not going to be putting in place any plans that depend on your death in one way or another. And I'm like, you know, that's Amaryllis saying this. I bet she already has plans in place that depend on the death of June, just in case that happens. Yeah, this went, this went by me completely, but I think you're 100% right. There's, she's, she, she's had this plan. She's had, once she realized how important he was, she's been planning for, all right, what happens if he dies? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was thinking about the postmodern stuff that'll come up more i'm sure in the coming weeks so we don't have to burn too much time on it but my my quick thought was like uh i would be bummed if the story was always going to be he dies at the end right Mm -hmm. 
Um, especially like, I don't know, then what's all the growth for, you know, he solved all these problems. He, he helped all these people. He, he grows a person and then what? So he could like never not stand a chance or excuse me, never stand a chance against dying at the end. Like yeah. that just makes it all seem like a waste. But if the DM's an asshole, then that's the kind of shit he'd pull. And we're not, we're still not sure what's going on here. And we don't, we don't know what kind of story we're in. So, uh, mm. you know, did June, whenever he was like in his worst moods, you know, make campaigns where like, fuck you, you guys all died at the end. Doesn't matter how you planned. He might, you might have, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, we know we made one where he just kept killing Raymer's character over and over because he was feeling like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. This is, uh, that's what this world actually is, is Raymer's revenge. <laughs> nice. Um, I, I read a book called, the title is John Dies at the End. And like one of the things that kept me reading, I mean, it was a pretty good book, but one of the things that kept me reading the whole time was me wondering, does John really die at the end or is this book fucking with me? <laughs> and I am not going to tell you how that resolved. I mean, it's it's already fucking with us by putting that in the title, right? Exactly. Um, so I I, I kind of need to know. I'll look this up and or read the book. Um, I, I would say don't look it up. It kind of ruins the enjoyment if you know beforehand how it ends. Okay. Especially with something titled John Ties at the End. Well, all right. I'll have to check it out. Uh, okay. okay. Well, uh, yeah, the night is so getting hot. late. Yeah, Solace is all fucked up. She's melted on one side. She's limping around. It's awful. And uh, she is. She comes just straight up comes and says, "I'm being punished with this maiming." And you know what? That pissed me off. And like, fuck the gods and fuck the fucking dough too. That was bullshit. I, I mean, I basically agree. I don't. I, the only reason I'm going to give the dough a pass is I don't know how much moral agency it has. Um, it could just be reacting to its feelings about Solace. You know, if it's, I mean, it probably is because it's a stupid fucking doe and fuck the stupid fucking doe. Right. If it's if it's a dumb animal, then like, you know, we can't we can be we can be mad that it's dumb, but we can't like blame it. Um, it's mm. eh, I mean, I, I maybe I, you can't blame it. I am less reasonable than you are. <laughs> You'd be wasting your energy blaming it. But sometimes you have energy <laughs> to waste. Um, yeah, I uh, I don't know. I really liked it, though. Cinematically, it's it's really interesting, right? Yeah, um, yeah, she she looks the the terrible hag that the doe imagined her looking like, mm-hmm. and oh shit, I didn't even put that together till you just said it now. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the doe's the doe's perception of reality became reality, which the is map kind and the tor terror were confused. Holy shit! Kind of how kind of druid stuff, right? Yeah, the doe might not even done this on purpose. The doe's like, you look fine to me. You look the same as you did before, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Uh, I. It's it's interesting. Um, she's like, you know, my the rest of my power is is still here. And June's like, yeah, but it's not really your power, is it? And then, like, you know, again, because of her uh, her maimed appearance, you know, she like it says like her eye narrowed and like, you know, what insight do you have? And he's like, no, and I'm just kind of you know spitballing from my chat with the doe. But like, it's the doe's power, and you're trying to shove it into this box, you know. And the, granted, the box you're trying to shove it in is I want you to flourish. Right. Yeah. And it seems like, uh, and I, I put this in my notes right before he said it, but something along the lines of like, it's perfectly on brand. Right. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. maybe there's nothing you can do. And she's like, well then what? Then I just die. And like Druid Druidism dies with me and the last locust dies. And he's like, yeah, yeah I mean that kind of like surprises expectations. Right. Isn't that kind of the whole thing? And, uh, he's not wrong. Um, it seems 
definitely plausible. Uh, and as we get this close again, I'm not quite sure how, far, how close we are to the end, but we're, we're getting there. And, uh, I feel like if it was become a hot young girl, it would have done that earlier or hot young woman, excuse me. Got to make that perfectly clear, uh, consenting <laughs> young adult. Um, right. uh, I feel like that would have happened earlier. You know, if it becomes a human in the last 10 chapters, that's going to be weird. Um, uh, but yeah, I had one last thought about solace and the dough and all that, but I guess it's just that, yeah, I mean, it could go badly. And I don't know if that's because this was always the, the locust's fate. Um, or if it's like, literally it will just not go into any box. You know, you want me to succeed, then I'm going to fail. You're going to try and kill me. Then I'm going to do great. <laughs> Fuck you. God damn locusts. I think it can't be the latter because otherwise none of them would have died. Like mm. unless the second empire was actually smart enough to be like, we're going to take really good care of you. And that's how we're yeah. going to, we're going to carry you up, carry you to death. Right. Mm. Um, I, I don't think that they did that. They didn't, the, the, the Nazi regime did not strike me as that kind of, uh, uh, creative, but, um, anyway, I think that's all the stuff I had on that. That was good stuff. Uh, I'm glad I brought this up. Yay. Teamwork. Yeah. So June realizes while they're having this narrative talk, he says, holy shit, you're avoiding doing plot relevant things with the clones. Uh, it's a cool ass revelation. And I think that's very smart of her because I mean, in large part, I want to see the plot relevant things and we can't keep up with 30 clones. Uh, but you know, just in general, it seems like a smart thing to do if you know you're living in a narrative. Yeah. I think that I can't remember her exactly dodgy re reply, but she doesn't say yes or no, but she says not really, but um, I think I can't remember. She says, no, not quite or something. She, she, but the thing is like, I think clones were the ones that were present for the first two discussions of like the earth portal revelations. Right. Um, oh, clones are definitely around when plot relevant things happen, but that's because June oh, is there. Oh, right. Well, yeah. in that case though, you know, real pr primary Amaryllis can't be doing pro plot relevant things. Right. Right. Um, if June isn't there, then yeah. But sometimes she does. You know, they, they put together that, that void bomb, you know, it was like the one major example I can think of where that sort of thinking paid off, but, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, but I, I do like the idea that like, look, we can't have 30 of you running around, like contributing to the plot behind the scenes. Like it's hard to keep track of 10 characters. We're not keeping track of 40 when 30 of them are the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I get where that's coming from. Uh, so I guess thank you to Amaryllis and more directly. Thank you to Alexander for not doing that because that would have been really confusing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm really smart uh june is complaining he says when people see me they see a gold mage which is ridiculous because i'm willing to drop it at basically a moment's notice and i am having a very strong x to doubt moment right here because it's really fucking cool to be superman and i don't think he's going to be ready to drop it at a moment's notice at all but uh, i do think it's probably good for him to keep publicly and uh, publicly reaffirming it and reaffirming it to Amaryllis because saying it out loud to people you care about is going to make it harder to go back on later. So at least he's doing that right. Chapter two of influence, commitment and consistency. Nice. Um, I think that's chapter two. It'd be much more impressive if it was. Um, yeah, prediction. He drops being a gold mage, but only after he crosses the line. Okay. I, good. I think he's going to go to that exclusion zone and he's either going to murder some parents and then be like, oh, I got to kill these kids too and then stop. Or mm. he's going to kill some kids and feel bad about it and drop it then or another time. But I think he's going to he, he's going to do something he regrets and then let it go. That's a good prediction. Uh, I mean, it also fits narratively, right? Yeah, uh, so, exactly. 
That's uh, why it's such a good prediction. Yay. Cheating. Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, frankly, this is the kind of shit Amarillo should be pointing out to him. You know, I'm not even, I'm not even good at this sort of thing. And she spent a lot of time thinking about it. She'd be like, June, look, you're going to do something terrible, regret it. And that's when you're going to drop it. You should just quit now. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you're ahead, but that's when it's time to quit. Yeah. 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 No, you're right. They, they, she should be making that point to him. Shoot. And he's already flown off isn't. to go do that. I mean, it all happened so fast. It did happen really like, fast, she, but maybe she's got some idea. I think she was trying to talk him out of it, kind of. Like, uh, I mean, she could have just said, you know, June, stop, and he would have. But, um, yeah. you know, she's like, so you're going to start killing sight unseen with no preamble? And he's like, you know, okay, you're right, you know, maybe. But then the gold says, or the call says, kill them all, claim the reward. And he's like, fuck, I guess I, guess I am. Um, so, you know... I don't know. She should have grabbed him and be like, nope, now's the time to drop it. That should have been like a pre-commitment when they were thinking about how eventually he'll try gold magic is mm-hmm. when any two of us tell you to stop, you stop. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been a good pre-commitment to make. Yep. But should have been the same thing they did like with the soul magic. Yeah. The downside about pre-commitments is that you have to do them beforehand and they forgot to. So oh. um, she, she's worried. Uh, there's some, there's some nice stuff with crack and his emotional state, but I, I'm kind of eager to get through the rest and I don't want to skip the Fen stuff. So I'm down just to jump straight to that. Well, in that case, they're talking about uh, Fen maybe coming back. Um, Sorry, hmm? because they exchange super adorable I love yous. Yeah, Yeah, they do. He says, I love you for the first time, right? Yeah. So he says, I love you. And then she was quiet and she was like, I was hoping we could save this for an appropriately dramatic moment. And he's like, all right, I take it back. Oh, you can't take it back. It's out there. It's been said. No, no. Part of the ruse, the fake marriage. Obviously, I don't actually love you. That'd be absurd. <laughs> you know, taking the game too far. Uh, mm-hmm. I just said it because someone might be listening in. And <laughs> uh, then she then she reciprocates. And then it was adorable. And you know, he says, you know, it was pretty dumb of me that I had the slightest shred of doubt. Well, no need to be so full of yourself about it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I like that that was some very fen energy, um, mm. that, that kind of exchange, right? Yeah. And uh, I think that's might that might be why her mind goes straight to Fen afterwards? Yeah, yeah. She says she's worried Fen's going to come back because that would be very, you know, good story, very dramatic, emotional, tense kind of stuff. I don't remember the setting that they're in right now, but I just imagine Fen like coming on the corner, like of a you know doorway, <laughs> be like, "I knew it." <laughs> uh, would have been perfect timing. Um, yeah, I you know narratively it would be interesting it would throw a monkey wrench into things they'd have all these emotional stuffs to do but like i really hate stories where a major death is undone like that and i really hope it doesn't happen or or that it's subverted or something like i didn't like that hermione was brought back in methods of rationality specifically because i hate when big major important character deaths that were big deals are reversed it just makes it cheap it did in that particular instance like it's set up like the next, the story was always supposed to be about her, right? Like, I think I really liked how it did the, the torch passing thing. Mm-hmm. They didn't just bring her back because now Harry feels better, right? Yeah. Um, so at least story-wise, it, it did a good job with it. But I know what you mean. You know, it, it, I mean, as good as it can be done. I, I, if I didn't hate it, I would be impressed by it. I just have a thing where I hate those things. That's totally fair. Uh, I like how you put it. No, if I didn't hate it, it would have done a good job. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I think um, I have no idea narratively how any of that stuff could work here like uh i i don't think fen's coming back um it would be in the dm's humor but i don't think you'd have killed her as part of like a joke um you know so i think the only reason that 
something like that would happen would because it would be because it was funny, but like killing her wasn't funny. Um, right. You know, Shia LaBeouf ripping people apart. Now that was hilarious. <laughs> uh, the, uh, it would definitely be subverted if, if she did come back, like mm-hmm. it would be, you know, surprising and, and weird and different. I don't know. I'd have to think about it when we're not pushing past three hours, but um, you know, quick point of order or point of fact, solace did die. Right. Yes. And it was a major yeah. death when it happened. Like she was new to the group, but not that new comparatively. Yeah. Uh, she was the newest, but it wasn't yeah, like but, they just met. But Fen had been with the group from the very, very beginning, and she was the love interest, and it was significantly deeper into this into the story by the time she died. Oh, I know. I'm just saying that uh like oh I, I brought that up because June was like, ah, you know, uh I didn't make the you know, this isn't the kind of world where they're, you know, like where death can be undone or something. And I'm like, dude, look around. There's a fucking afterlife. And you've had one dead friend come back. Like, granted, that was a weird circumstance. But, like, you don't get to look at those two facts and be like, yeah, this isn't the kind of world where death can be undone. Right. And I, like, (laughs) he's like, no, I think that this is a world where death is permanent. And I'm like, come on, man. (laughs) Literally, that is not true. we, 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 you have, you just got done kind of. You know, giving a public dressing down to one person who who uh, you watched die, and everyone else goes to hell. Uh, Plus, didn't someone once ask you how many times have you died, and you answered with a non-zero number? <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is definitely a world where deaths happen all the time. But you know, they didn't. The June ones didn't really happen. Um, yeah. You know, if you if you squint. So uh, yeah, whatever it is, though, I I think that. I can't remember somewhere in her opening the event of my death note was something about like move on and love again. Right. Yes, absolutely. And if it Which wasn't was, in there, then she was being selfish and you should do it anyway. But yeah. sure. Yeah. But it wasn't there. Like, and that's why I was, I was kind of put out when June Amaryllis are like, yeah, we're married now. She might see it as a betrayal. I'm like, dude, she literally put in letter that she wants you to move on if she dies and that she recommends Amaryllis specifically. Oh, she did like, recommend Amaryllis. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that and she might have said you know love somebody again but if you if you you know immediately fall into the arms of the chick that you hang out with that's hotter than me i'm gonna be a little put out um i could imagine I that being in did. there like, no i think you're maybe right maybe she, i think she did yeah yeah maybe she started with grac because she said it'd be funnier or something oh there. she gave an order you're right <laughs> yeah she listed them all yeah okay that i remember yeah and you know, i mean I kind of get, okay, sure. Emotions aren't rational. She could have written that letter. And if she comes back right now, still like feel bad when she sees them married. But, you know, I don't think she would see it as a betrayal necessarily. She would just like have sad feelings, which is not, not the same thing. Yeah. I mean, to, to be, to be fair, Fen, for all the things that we love about her, she was not a shining example of cool headed rationality, right? (laughs) If she was, I wouldn't have loved her as much. <laughs> if she came back and she's super pissed, it'd be perfectly in character for her. Mm-hmm. She'd be like, oh, sure, I said that, but I didn't mean it. Fuck you. <laughs> you know? You should have known that, June. Didn't you know anything about me? That's kind of exactly what she would say. Absolutely. Um, so, <laughs> And I would love it because it's hilarious and she's great. You know, maybe it's not so much that Amaryllis is, I think she is a bit worried about the interpersonal business or whatever, but I think she might be worried about like, you know, June, what are you going to do? Like, are we still going to be together? If she comes back. Can you handle being with both of us? Will you tell her to fuck off? Like, um, mm. I, I well, think Finn sounded like she was super monogamous when, when talked like, you know, just, she couldn't help it. Oh, I don't remember that. I guess you're probably right. I'll take your word for it. Cause you're the one who liked her so much. Surprised you're able to see past that glaring fault in her. 
Uh, you know, sometimes I can. <laughs> um, I'm really kind of surprised Wes didn't like Fen more because she's basically the female version of Wes. <laughs> uh, we we don't have time to psychoanalyze that. Um, <laughs> okay. I uh, I can think of some funny jokes, but uh, not ways to deliver them that might not come off rudely. Um, but I mean them on all the funniest ways. Uh, I, I certainly would not be offended because I, I know you and you can like, I, I knew it wouldn't be no, whatever no, the, you're thinking. The joke would have to be at, at Wes's expense, which is like, well, Wes is yeah. just the kind of person that he wouldn't love, right? Romantically. <laughs> uh, but I know I that's totally not true because that. he, he's, he's nice and awesome. But uh, right. it's anyway, jokes, tired, late yes. recording. So, I think many people wouldn't love themselves romantically. I'm, I'm not sure I'd be into me like personality wise. I don't know what romance is exactly. Um, I don't think I take myself yeah. to candlelit dinners, but I'd get along with myself. Oh, yeah. Th- I think I would, too. Yeah. Um, you know, this actually segues perfectly. Speaking of not being able to get along with yourself, June's got this annoying ghost in his head that's super yeah. pushy about wanting more gold all the time. And yep. it's like, go murder a bunch of people for it. And mm. rather than do the smart thing and tell- telling it to fuck off, which, again, I totally get because it hasn't crossed the line yet. He even tells her, like, try and get, you know, working on some negotiations maybe they can solve this this problem before he gets there or something, right? And so, No, I think when he said, when he meant completing the negotiations as in the negotiations to collect that reward. Oh, you're right. Shoot. Like, I, I think one of the things that makes me not as worried about baby killing is that Amaryllis seems on board with this sort of thing. So maybe it's just like full of evil people. That, you're that right. Easy. Yeah. I mean, it could be all terrible, horrible cannibals. They're flesh builders, flesh sculptors. What was it? Flesh smiths. I knew it was hard to say. That sounds gross. I'm sure it's terrible. Um, maybe they all deserve it, but I just think more likely than not, they're just some poor fucks who came across the wrong magic, right? And now they're all yeah. trapped here. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, and the only other thing to mention is that he's bringing Grack along because he's a great get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, mm-hmm. But they're kind of ignoring maybe the fact that Grack won't love helping out a gold mage, but I guess he's not helping a gold mage. He's helping his friend June. Exactly. But it still feels like Okay, June, so we're going to come here and kill all these people so we can feed that gold monster? Uh, you can see maybe how I'm not in love with that, right? Yeah. Controversially. <laughs> I'm against the genocide of dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> and helping gold mages genocide other things. Yeah. I guess it's time to go smart, start smashing babies to death with his bare hands, though. That is that time. All right. Well, we can see him smashing babies to death in this, with his bare hands in the next three chapters. And it's only going to be three this time because my next week or two is going to be pretty darn busy. And, you know, this was a really long anyway. So nope, going to take it a little bit easier. No justification yeah. needed. Okay, cool. Uh, our next three chapters, uh, we're doing 221 through 223. 221, Targets of Opportunity. 222, Clerical Errors. And 223, A Lost Friend. Oh, those all sound serious. Clerical errors uh, makes it sound like he makes a miscalculation killing these people or something. Lost friend. Uh, could be a number of things. We'll have to speculate until we actually read and get there. So we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up. Give a big high five to Alexander Wales. Thanks for writing this book so we can spend a long time discussing it and having a great time doing that. And uh, is there anything else we usually say? Uh, the give us money. Give Alexander money. There's links in the show notes for Patreons. All of you guys rock. All right. See you all, all back right. here in a week. Thank- Yeah, thank you all, and thanks, Stephen. This was great. Yay. Bye.